opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Uh, good afternoon. Um, and once again, welcome to the Saturday afternoon session of our convention. Uh, we do not yet have uh, results of the voting for first vice president, so we will just proceed. And when those results come in, um, they will be announced. So the first agenda item is for those um, officers who were um, elected or chosen um, by the membership to say a few words of acknowledgement. So we'll, um, I can start. So again, I would like to thank you very much for um, placing your confidence in me for these next couple of years. Uh, it means a lot to me to actually be elected because of course I was uh, appointed. I think it was last June. Um, and I look forward to, to uh, serving you, working with you to meet uh, our challenges. We have a great uh, membership. We have a great um, team on the board. And one of the things that I always find really, two things I always find very satisfying and, and great about being um, part of this organization is whenever there's a job that needs to be done, somebody always steps up uh, to fill it. And if it's a multi-person type of job, People naturally come together, they do what they need to do, and they get the job done. That's one thing that I've Join always really appreciated about BSCB. Another thing is that um, I've always found that if you have an idea, there's a, something you would like to do, something you think that would make the organization better or that would contribute to uh, the betterment of lives of blind people in the Commonwealth, if you have an idea... You can persuade a couple of people that, yeah, let's go ahead with it. And you're willing to do some of that work yourself. It's an organization that has room for you to do that. You know, there are organizations out there where there are a lot of vested interests and people who don't want things to change or don't aren't that interested in new ideas or say, oh, you know, you know we tried that a few years ago. It didn't work. It's not going to work now. I've never found that to be the case for this organization. So I'm very proud of um the organization and honored to be your president for the next two years. So, and um, next up is Cheryl. And again, Cheryl, congratulations on your election as second vice president. If you want to say a few words. Oh, um, thank you. And uh, like David, I appreciate everyone who voted for me to continue being second vice president. I think the work that Bay State Council of the Blind does is very, very important. And I appreciate the opportunity to be part of that process. And everybody, I think you all know how to get in touch with me. So, you know, if you have any ideas of things that are working or not working, I mean, please always feel free to get in touch with me either via email or via my phone. I love to hear from people and I really look forward to um, having this opportunity to be on the board for the next few years. So thank you very much. Thank you, Cheryl. Before James Gleason, our new secretary speaks, I want to take a few moments on behalf of the, uh, of the board and the membership 
to thank Jerry Barrier for not six years, but seven years of service as secretary. He did a great job of putting together the minutes, but more important than that, you know, always contributed good ideas, good comments, good questions, good reminders uh, during board meetings. Um, I tried to persuade the um, our chair of the Constitution and Bylaws Committee to see if we could make him secretary for life, but I guess I was voted down on that, and um, I guess Jerry doesn't feel too bad about that. So, Jeannie Fairley. Again, I, I really want to thank Jerry Join for the his meeting. work, and of course, Jerry is not going to disappear. We know he's going to be very active as he going forward. So, uh, James Gleason, our new, our newest board member, a few words from you, please. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much, and um, it, I can say that um, this the nomination was a great honor, you know, to be selected by the committee based on you know what 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 you do and. That people that feel that you do it well, um, so to be asked to um, be a member of this uh, executive board and to you know do things such as scribing for meetings and you know maintaining records. Um, you know, maintaining records is certainly for those of you who are not familiar. I've been a librarian for the last um, long time, and um, you keeping records and following along and you know helping people you know get information that they need is a, a, a great job and i'm pleased and proud um to be uh, the new secretary and not that anybody's asked me yet but i would if asked demur also from being the secretary for life but you know i'm pleased, pleased and proud to be uh, doing it right now thank you Thank you, James. And our first board meeting that you will take part in, I think, is going to be next, not uh, two Monday nights from now, but a couple of Monday nights from now. It's usually the first or uh, the second Sunday of the month, but we make an allowance for uh, not doing it on Mother's Day. So um, yeah. really look forward to um, getting some new blood on the board. And that's going to be uh, you'll be uh, that will be you. Our treasurer, uh, Nick Corbett, this is. Probably the toughest job and the most demanding of all on the board. And it takes a really rare person to do this job well. We had that rare, uh, one rare person in uh, Rick Morin for many years. And Nick has really stepped up and done a fantastic job since being um, appointed a little while ago. But now he is elected. So, uh, Nick. Sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, Nick Corbett. Uh, new treasurer. Thank you for you know putting me into this position. It's uh, it's it is a, a a big position. It's demanding. It's not always fun, but I enjoy numbers um, and I enjoy the mission of the SCB. So I'm happy to provide those numbers services to help forward the mission of BSCB. Uh, and uh, thank you. Okay, uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep moving on again. As when we get election results, we'll stop and we will um, announce them. Don't have those. Yeah. So continuing on with the business meeting, we're going to have a second reading of the Constitution and bylaws, and then we will open it up for um, discussion and then hopefully adoption. So, Steve, I guess that's you're going to uh, do the recording again. David, this is Kim. Can I ask a question about the process? Yes. Um, Steve, I'm assuming he'll play these one at a time, not the whole group so that we can tackle them. I mean, at least that's how I figured Chris would want to handle them as one at a time. 
Uh, Chris, if you're there, you want to answer? Yeah, I, uh, okay. My thought and our com- committee's thought, and I think, David, we talked about this, is to do it in three parts. We've got um, the amendments about the blind and visually impaired thing, and I think we would vote them as a package because rather than, okay, do we want to change Article 2, then we do want to change Article 3. So we would do that as a package. We would then do the um, committee name changes as a package and vote on that together and then do the nominating committee info uh, or Join the meeting. changes as a package. So that, that was makes, what we thought. We would sense. have three votes. And, of course, first the vote. But I think reading it all together, what we usually do, I know what you're saying about resolutions and, and so forth, um, but I think since they're, they're packages and, just, and Steve um, may have, and I can't speak for him, but he could have logistical problems in starting and stopping because like when we lost the end of the nominating committee thing, it was going to be hard. So it depends on, it would depend too on him if he wants to do it. But I think I would just read the whole thing. I don't think they're that hard to understand. I think leg- uh, the resolutions make more sense that way because A, it's live, it's easier to do. And B, there's three totally different topics, but we've got the package uh, deal here where I think we can do it, make it more efficient by doing it that way. And I don't, that's obviously up to David and uh, uh, he's the chair, uh, the uh, presiding officer, but that, that was my thought. Roll the tape. Proposed amendments to BSCB constitution and bylaws for April 30, 2022. First section is housekeeping. Summary, replace blind with blind or visually impaired as follows. Now, what I will do is I will mention the parentheses for the words we're highlighting in both the current amendment and the proposed amendment. Article Roman numeral two, purpose, current language. The purpose of BSCB is to serve as a democratic vehicle for collective and political action by paren blind paren persons so that we may promote the full social, economic, and cultural integration of paren blind paren persons into our respective communities, this state, and the nation. Proposed language. The purpose of BSCB is to serve as a democratic vehicle for collective and political action by paren blind or visually impaired, close paren, persons so that we may promote the full social, economic, and cultural integration of paren blind or visually impaired, close paren, persons into our respective communities, this state, and the nation. Article Roman Roman numeral four, membership, section B, first sentence, current language, B, the majority of members of BSCB must be paren blind, close paren, proposed language, B, the majority of members of BSCB must be paren blind or visually impaired, close paren. Article Roman numeral five, chapters, section B, and there are a few sentences involved here. Current language, a majority of the members must be paren blind, close paren. A majority of the executive board must be paren blind, close paren. The president and vice president must be paren blind, close paren. And the proposed language is a majority of the members must be paren blind or visually impaired, close paren. A majority of the executive board must be paren blind or visually impaired, close paren. The president and vice president must be 
paren blind or visually impaired. Close paren. Article Roman numeral 7, Officers and Directors. Section A, second sentence. Current language. A majority of board members, including the president and vice presidents, must be paren blind, close paren. Proposed language. A majority of board members, including the president and vice presidents, must be paren blind or visually impaired, close paren. Section B, third sentence. Current language. A majority of directors must be paren blind, close paren period. Proposed language. A majority of directors must be paren blind or visually impaired, close paren. Bylaw 2, standing committees. And this is about committee name changes. It's not uh, changing their duties. It's just changing their names. Summary. Paragraph 1, second sentence, change legislative to advocacy and publications to communications. So current language is the standing committees of BSCB shall be as follows, constitution and bylaws, membership, resolutions, nominating, paren, legislative publications, close paren, conference and convention, transportation, finance, and resource development. Proposed language. The standing committees of BSCB shall be as follows. Constitution and bylaws, membership, resolutions, nominating, opening paren, advocacy, communications, close paren, conference and convention, transportation, finance, and resource development. Bylaw 2, Section D, Summary. Replace legislative with advocacy in this bylaw to reflect the revised name of the standing committee. Current language, D, the president shall appoint a legislative representative who shall act as the chairperson of the open paren legislative closed paren committee. And the proposed language would be, D, the president shall appoint a legislative representative who shall act as the chairperson of the open paren advocacy closed paren committee. And then bylaw 2, section C, summary, change the number of days for appointing the nominating committee chair from 90 to 60, and change the number of days for selecting and appointing member at large from 60 to 45, and also that would be a change to the for the chapter uh, appointments that are for that committee. And so we have uh, current language. C, the president shall appoint a chairperson of the nominating committee no later than 90, 90, and we have what is done in this constitution, we always put the numbers here too, so 90, close paren, opening paren, 90, close paren, days before the date of the annual conference and convention. Each chapter shall select a representative to serve on the nominating committee no later than 60, open paren, 60 close paren days prior to the annual conference and convention. No later than open paren 60 close paren 60 days prior to the annual conference and convention, a member at large must be appointed to the nominating committee. Now that was the current language. The proposed language is as follows. C, the president shall appoint a chairperson of the nominating committee no later than 60 open paren, 60 closed paren, days before the date of the uh, conference and convention. 
Each chapter shall select a representative to serve on the committee no later than 45 open print 45, close print days prior to the annual conference and convention. No later than print 45, close print 45, days prior to the annual conference and convention, a member at large shall be appointed to the nominating committee. And that's it. Thank you, Steve. So as, uh, as uh, Chris mentioned, uh, we'll, we'll, um, we'll discuss in uh, sort of three groupings, three buckets. So first off, uh, we're all the different places where uh, the word blind. First of all, David, David, we yes. need to vote on voting. We need to oh. you know, get that part done because this did not, uh, to explain again, because obviously everybody's in here all the time, especially even more so on a Zoom meeting than they are in a, in a hall. Um, we need to, because it did not meet the constitutional requirement for publication and dissemination, we need to vote to make sure that everyone is willing to vote on any of this first. We will do that, and then we can start to vote on the three packages. I don't know if I can move it as the committee moves it, or uh, I'm not a parliamentarian per se, but uh, the committee would uh, recommend that we do vote on these. Okay. Would somebody like to make a motion that we vote on uh, whether we can vote on this? I make a motion that we vote on whether we can vote. And Thank I you. Second it. All those okay. in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Abstained? Okay. Okay. So we can vote. Thank you for that. So let's open discussion on the first uh, issue, which was in the relevant uh, sections of the Constitution, changing from the word just blind to blind or visually impaired. I'm wondering about the law of unintended consequences, or maybe they are intended. I looked mm. up the meaning of visual impairment, and it's there are different classifications, but basically it starts at an acuity of 20 slash 40, which is by most of our standards is excellent vision. And given that um, this change in the bylaw would include visual impairment and stipulate that a majority of board and um, officers and members need to be visual, could be blind or visually impaired. It would be conceivable to have an organization run by people with minimal visual impairment and have also many sighted members in it. And I'm wondering if that's really what we want. Uh, this is Deanne Elliott, and I actually had the same question that Cindy had. And I was also wondering if there were any guidelines at the national level. I don't know what ACB does in this point, but I also share that concern that, you know, in, in, I'm all in favor of opening it up so that certain individuals could, so that we have representation of low vision folks on our board. But theoretically, it seems to me that it would be possible to have a board of people where no one is blind. It would be extreme, but it could happen, I think. Okay, I'm, I'm on the same bandwagon in that the, I believe there's a definition of legally blind because those who are legally blind have a certificate from the Mass Commission for the Blind. And blind is usually used as a synonym for legally blind. But what's the definition of visually impaired, low vision, whatever you want to call it? And I agree very quickly that low vision is a better term than visually impaired. So... Should that should these uh, amendments or rules have a definition of the, of those terms? 
to ensure true clarity for the reader of it? I don't know the answer to that question. Why don't we just go with, uh, for the moment, you know, blind or or low vision was considered a friendly amendment. Now, I don't yeah. know if we have the capacity to actually do real votes on this, but uh, let I guess the idea was, let me ask, are there any, is there anybody in opposition to blind or low vision? Yes. Okay. Without knowing if there is a definition of low vision. I, it seems to me it's, it's just, there's no need to rush into this. I would kind of agree. Okay, let me... Um, um, uh, this is Jeannie. There is a definition of low vision. It's 2070 or worse. Are we voting to, to on the actual change to low vision? We yeah. are voting to change oh. it to blind or low and vision. Low vision. Okay. Blind or Thank low you. vision. Okay. All of those in favor of changing to blind or no vision, say aye. Aye. Opposed? Yes. Nay. Nay. Okay. Nay. Okay. I would say two thirds, more than two thirds voted in yeah. favor. So that's the amendment. The amendment would pass. Okay. It sounds to me more like two thirds also. So, okay. Now, the next, uh, uh, the next um, amendment we're going to consider is changing. Uh, the names of the Publications Committee to Communications, the Legislative Committee to Advocacy. Uh, are, are there any are there any um, comments on that? That there was a friendly amendment proposed yesterday by um, uh, Myra Ross, and I'm willing to accept that amendment. And looking at the language, I've got it in front of me, and it actually would simplify it. Let me read the proposed language for this, and then tell you what the friendly amendment is, and then we can start discussing. Uh, right, right now, the proposed language was, the president shall appoint a legislative representative who shall act as the chairperson of the advocacy committee. Well, that sounds kind of goofy. It's, it's sort of contradictory. And we thought first that we could just take the word legislative out, and that would work. But I think what we really need to do is make it very simple and just say the president shall, shall appoint a chairperson for the who, uh, for the to the advocacy committee so the new language would be the president shall appoint a chairperson of the Adv advocacy committee okay if i that, would only ask yeah i would only ask if if myra you 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 want to uh, yeah that's say anything. fine that okay. accomplishes the purpose okay yeah thank you myra okay now again i would say if there are any you know purely factual questions or people opposing these two changes uh, of publications to communications and legislative to advocacy, then you could speak. Do we have a motion to accept uh, these amended changes? And I move that we accept them. I move I that we accept the changes. I, I second it. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Abstained? Okay. The ayes Good. have it. The third question relates to the timing of selection uh, appointment of the chairman of the nominations committee. This was, um, you know, this is something that I think we've been thinking about for doing for a while because 
was three months, which seemed excessive. We never got it done that way anyways. So making that uh, two months, and I think we did actually uh, respect that two months deadline, maybe even the three months this time, I can't remember. And then um, uh, consequent to that, also shortening some of the other uh, times. I can't remember exactly for uh, yeah, what, uh, 60, uh, 60 days for nominating and 45 days for the chapters and the at-large member to be appointed, the chapter members and at-large member. Okay. Is there any discussion on that? So, and again, it's, it's shortening the time period for um, naming these uh, people related to nominations committee. Hearing no discussion, do we have a motion to accept the amended language? I move we I accept. make a motion that we accept the language. Second. 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 All those in favor, say aye. 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 Opposed? Stand. Okay. The ayes have it, and um, that is uh, amendment is also um, accepted. So thank you very okay. much. So let me just talk a second for, about uh, mechanics. So what will happen is our committee will get together. Steve, uh, who's our uh, keeper of all this documentation, will make the changes to the changes, as they say. And uh, he'll send it to our committee. We'll look at it, make sure everything's fine, and then it'll be disseminated. It'll be up on the website and, uh, you know, a, able to be brailed up if somebody needs it or anything uh, as, as the Constitution as a whole fairly soon. Okay, we're going to move on to... Thank uh, you so much. Yeah, we're going to move on to resolutions. So, David, this is yes. Kim. Yes. And I would I would just like to ask, perhaps for the indulgence of the chair and the members, um, the awards presentation was scheduled for 145 to 215. And I do have the recipients here and many of them have other obligations. So I have arranged to have them be here at this time slot. And I wonder if we could switch and do the awards to accommodate their schedules and then do our resolutions following that. Uh, I certainly think that is a very good idea. Um, I don't think others will object. Does anybody object? <laughs> Hearing no objections. I and this is I appreciate uh, that. And I'm sure that um, our recipients may have other things they need had planned for the day. So. All right. So um, I first want to acknowledge the other two members of the BSCB Awards Committee. Um, thank you to Jerry Barrier and to Pam Locke for helping with the selection. And we received quite a few um, excellent nominations. And um, it's my pleasure today to, um, to present um, two of the three awards that we will be presenting. So First, um, I will make our presentation for the BSCB Outstanding Service Award. This is the highest honor that BSCB bestows. Um, the criteria is that it would be an individual or an organization that provides products or services of particular value to blind or visually impaired individuals. Recipients are generally a company or an individual which provides um, a tangible product or service or makes a real difference in what they do for people who are blind or have low vision. So it's my pleasure today um, to recognize an individual who has been 
steadily employed at the Carroll Center for the Blind for over 22 years. During that time, she spent more than 17 years as an assistive technology instructor, teaching hundreds of blind and low vision consumers of all ages to use screen readers and screen magnifiers. Some were consumers who were new to vision loss and these technologies, while others were struggling to maintain employment, preparing to enter a new educational setting or seeking new employment opportunities. The positive impact that her patience, preparedness, and breadth of knowledge has had on so many of her students is particularly immeasurable. Beginning in September of 2019, Heather Thomas transitioned her role at the Carroll Center for the Blind from assistive technology instructor to accessibility associate within the accessibility services business line. In this new role, Heather began to have more of a global impact on the lives of persons who are blind or have low vision because she has been helping to improve the accessibility of digital content in several arenas across a wide span of industry sectors. After spending so many years teaching consumers how to use various types of assistive technologies, Heather is now also helping those who produce online content to design and code it so it is more accessible to those same consumers. Heather studied and became certified by the International Association of Accessibility Professionals as a Certified Professional in Accessibility Core Competencies and as an Accessible Document Specialist. Each of these certifications is an indication of her dedication to learning her craft well so she can apply that knowledge across a wide variety of digital content types. When COVID suddenly changed our world to make a remote environment essential, Heather was concerned that those who are screen reader users might be left behind if they could not participate in Zoom video conferencing meetings and webinars. To help ensure that would not happen, she dedicated hours of her personal time to research and author a book entitled Getting Started with Zoom Meetings in 2019. As Zoom continued to evolve and make changes, she revised and updated the book again in late 2020. That last edition is now available for free to anyone who would like that information. In early 2021, Heather played an integral role in the design and development of a new employment training program at the Carroll Center, whose ultimate objective is to enable persons who are, who are skilled daily users of JAWS and native mobile screen readers 
to forge an employment path in accessibility testing and reporting areas. As an unchartered area of employment training, this unique screen reader user testing training program has required the dedication of an inordinate amount of research and design time and energy to bring to fruition. Heather was one of the two primary instructors during the pilot in-person launch of this program in October of 2021. I think I will stop there and just say how proud I am to be presenting um, the 2022 Outstanding Service Award of the Bay State Council of the Blind to Heather Thomas. And Heather, I know you are here. So if you can say a few words, that would be really wonderful. Thank you so much, Kim. Um, It's truly an honor to be selected for this award. And I think I want to thank those who nominated me. And a special thank you to Brian Charlson and Bruce Howell, who were my two supervisors at the Carroll Center. Uh, They both have been and continue to be great mentors to me. And I know I'm not the only one who they have mentored over the years. Uh, I also want to thank my fellow assistive technology instructor coworkers through the years, including David Kingsbury, Nick Corbett, and also uh, some years back now, Brian Margie, Nancy Tavis, and so many other coworkers past and present. My colleagues have always been so very supportive over the years. And I especially want to thank all of my students who I've had the pleasure of meeting and working with over the past couple of decades. My students have all taught me uh, so much, and they're really the primary reason that I enjoy going to work every day. So I just want to thank everyone. This means so much to me. Thank you, Heather. And it's well-deserved. And are you able to share your news about where you're going to be transitioning to soon? Um, yes. So I, uh, it's, um, it's definitely a uh, bittersweet. Um, I'll miss everyone at the Carroll Center, but I, I will be transitioning to a um, contract for hire position um, at CVS as an accessibility engineer. So you're taking your knowledge to the, the public sector and with CVS Health. That's great. Yes. Well, we'll expect a lot of wonderful accessibility at CVS, knowing that you're there. So thank you, Heather, very thank much. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Kim. All right. I'm going to uh, recognize Pam to present the next award. Um, I will be presenting the Betty Gazigian Advocacy Award. This award goes to a BSCB member who has performed exemplary advocacy work in the community. The award goes to Tyler Littlefield. He is a software developer who is blind. He created a fully accessible tracker for COVID-19 statistics as a resource for blind and visually impaired individuals, which will change to low vision. (laughs) Since most information is reported graphically, it is difficult for blind people to access the information. The tracker is called CV Stats. It converts to it converts graphic information to a text format. Tyler provides global statistics, country statistics, and state statistics. 
He presents the information in an easy to understand format and can be read by screen readers used by blind and low vision individuals. Tyler presents total, he presents the total number of COVID cases, uh, the death rate, and people who have recovered from COVID. Um, I want to thank Tyler for your great contribution to the blind and low vision community and um, congratulate you. And so, Tyler, if you want to say a few words, you can. Um, yeah, I just want to say thank you for everybody that nominated me for this. Um, and uh, I, I honestly did not expect this. Um, it's been running forever, and I just kind of let it let it go. So uh, thanks again, and I really appreciate this. You're welcome, Tyler. Yes, c- congratulations, Tyler. It, to you, it may seem like a, a small thing that you just did with your, your computer skills, but but to us, it really meant having accessibility and access to a lot of critical information at a time when a lot of it was in graphs and charts and wasn't always totally understandable by people who are blind. So thank you for what you did and how you continue to maintain um, the cvstats.net website for um, our benefit. Um, and I just want to say to our recipients, it's a little hard to hand them um, their award through through the Zoom world. So <laughs> you you will be receiving your awards um, in the mail within the next two weeks. So, um, and our final award this afternoon um, is the BSCB Community Access Award. Um, And the Community Access Award, as you might guess, is generally given to an organization um, or individual that demonstrates a commitment to increased access for blind and low vision persons. And this could be access to the printed word, transportation, the arts, employment, etc., um, and this is this award is presented at the discretion of the BSCB Board of Directors, who approved this year's um, recommendation. So it is hard to imagine anything more impactful during the pandemic than the contributions of our next award recipients and what they have made. This year's award winner for the Community Access Award. Um, is the ACB community and ACB media and their yeoman work on helping people stay so connected during the past two years. ACB community calls and ACB media programming have jointly connected thousands of blind and low vision people um, to access information, and and be connected with the blindness community. Their partnership and the amazing efforts in bringing people together through the wide-ranging topics of the community calls and the state and special interest affiliate conventions on ACB Media help make us all feel more connected when we can't get there in person. Each on their own, meaning ACB community and ACB media, um, and together they have changed the the present 
and the future landscape of how ACB and its affiliates can reach out, communicate, and maintain connections with all kinds of people all over the globe. And I think today's conference is a classic example of what ACB Media can do. And I hope many of you have had the opportunity to be a part of community calls as well, because there's so much terrific um, educating and sharing and collaborating going on there. So um, I'm hoping that to we're presenting basically two awards. So we are recognizing ACB Media. And I know Larry Gassman is here, and I am hopeful that Rick Morin is here as well. First off, I, I just a couple of things. Uh, you know, thank you so much for this award, Kim. Um, you know, ACB, it, it's, you know, obviously Larry and I, and I'll let Larry speak for himself, but I know we're both very privileged to be part of ACB Radio. Um, ACB Radio is a conduit for, you know, all the great stuff that goes on at ACB. And, you know, we're just very fortunate in being able to be part of that. Um, the, um, the whole pandemic thing has been so unbelievable in terms of taking technology that we've had access to, um, but never really utilized to its fullest. And then really, um, it, it really reshaped our lives during the course of the pandemic and I, I tell people that the stars align themselves in a certain fashion uh, to create community and and make ACB Radio um, what it is now. I mean, ACB Radio has been around for a long time. It's actually ACB Media. We've been around for a long time, but um, the you know where uh, we seem to be there every step of the way with ACB now on, on just about everything. And, and, um, you know, I, I think that's terrific. I'm going to, I'm going to stop here, but thank you so much for the award. If anybody plays Wordle, my wife is a big Wordle fan. Um, I'm going to see if I can get a hold of the Wordle people and see if they can come up with, use the word hybrid in, in one of their games because that's going to be what we're all focused on um, on a go-forward basis. But thanks again, everybody. Larry? I will take uh, just a few seconds. Don't hold me to that. Uh, but every time I talk in front of people, it, it eventually comes down to me saying, whatever you do in life, you have to have a passion for. And and I've been doing radio in one form or another, whether it be old-time radio or radio technology since the 70s. And I worked for Marriott for 21 years, and that's where I made, of course, the money that I needed to live on. So after I retired, I got the chance to volunteer through ACB Radio, now ACB Media, and I never thought that that would turn into a job because I was very happy being retired, but it did. And I have a passion for this. So many of us have passions, and that's why we work all these extra hours that we don't necessarily have to work for. We just do it because when we do that and when we succeed, everybody succeeds. And and now we're being asked to do so many things. And 
It's so exciting, and Rick is absolutely right. The hybrid is coming quickly for us, especially for the national convention, and we're going to we're going to be talking about that. In fact, we already have, and that has started, and that's going to continue up through January. We now have meetings established just to talk about broadcasting and hybrid that are starting at six a.m. on the Pacific Coast, and that's fine. But but this is really what it's all about to make an something that's going to be successful for everybody so that those who can't be at the convention can virtually be there to to love and enjoy everything that we get to enjoy while being in person. And thank you so much for this wonderful award on behalf of ACB Media and ACB Community. Cindy, I know, will be very happy about this as well because it's ACB Community has had such a huge, huge contribution to what's happening over the last couple of years because of the pandemic. You are to be congratulated for thinking about this and actually giving these awards, and, and we really can't thank you enough. Thank you all. Thank you. And well-deserved yep. Rick and Larry. So I'm hoping Cindy is here. I didn't check the participants I list. I am here. She oh, is. I'm so glad. I'm of so course. glad. I want to say a few words. Thank you so much. On behalf of an enormous number of people that I would not even have any clue of how many, I want to thank you for this recognition of our community. What? Here's some of the facts that I do know. We started March 17th with two calls that week. We now average 100 calls a week. We've held over 8,100 calls since March 17th, 2020. We know that that means well over 100,000 touches of people that have come in to our Zoom events. We've trained well over 150 Zoom hosts, many of whom share that they've taken that knowledge and used it in their affiliates and other outside organizations, whether it be church or their uh, homeowners association or something like that. We have people facilitating calls that never dreamt They'd be in that position, but they are stretching and they want to give back. And so they continue to give and give and give some more because they don't want what has become ACB's uh, community. They don't want it to end. And so every single morning, we now have a joint event between Zoom and Clubhouse with somewhere between 60 and 85 people every morning coming together to go over the daily schedule and to answer the question of the day. It's, it's humbling to have so many people come in on a regular basis and want to learn how to do what we're doing and how to become more a part of it. And we really, truly could not have as wide a reach without the support of ACB Media. And it was at the end of May that uh, I was approached, and this is like two months in of us doing community events, that I was approached by Jeff Bishop to see if we'd like to start maybe doing regular Uh, calls on ACB radio at that time and the community channel was born now ACB media five and thanks to Larry and uh, 
and others, I'm sure we continue to get uh, many of our calls that are streamed into automation. So anytime, 24-7, you can listen to ACB Media 5 and hear content, some live, some pre-recorded. All of the streamers, many of whom started out as hosts, by the way, uh, including yours truly, uh, now help stream calls. And it's just continuously evolving and people growing and connecting. And I know so many are excited about the National Convention and getting an opportunity to meet one another. But here's my final thought, Anna. I mean, I really just don't understand, to be honest, how community even happened. It was, it started off with just me knowing that we all had to isolate, not knowing for how long, and me wanting to reach out to affiliates. My job was membership services coordinator at the time. Now I am manager of membership engagement. But it was to make sure that we all stayed connected and I wanted chapters and affiliates to utilize whatever was available to them to be able to do that and for many at that time it was free conference call that's what I was comfortable with I didn't know anything really about Zoom learned quickly though and then began taunting or taunting teaching uh, people how to learn to host and to use Zoom. And so it's just been amazingly magical. But bottom line, there are a lot of people out there, and you may be one of them, that are wondering, what the heck is she even talking about? If you have never been into the community events, please take a dive Jump right in. There are many friends awaiting you. We have events from peer-to-peer support to learning languages, technology, fun things like karaoke tonight, and it's playtime on Friday night where we play trivia and other games. There's there's calls around specific topic areas and uh, organizations that have paired up with us, teamed up with us to bring their content. So again, about 100 calls every single week. And we don't take breaks on the weekends, not during holidays, none of it. We are there for one another and uh, we want to be there for you as well. So drop an email to community at acb.org and get on our email list. You'll receive an email each day with our schedule or you can call 800-424-8666 and follow the prompts to listen to the daily schedule and you'll hear Colby, our uh, membership services administrative assistant, who came on board by the way, because of the uh, activity and community and through a grant that ACB secured. So we are just so grateful for all of you. Bay State, thank you for recognizing the community and our work. And I really, truly hope each of you will come and share in community. It's here for all of us. Thank you so much. Karaoke, 9 p.m. tonight, Channel 4, uh, Channel 5. Five, five. yes, channel thanks, five. Rick. It's going to be fun, and we do theme nights, too. So next week we have a theme night of musicals and movie soundtracks. It's going to be fun, so join us. Thanks, Rick. Thank you, Cindy.
Congratulations. Thank you, Rick, for joining us, even though you're at Disney World and escaping, you know, life. Um, we're really glad you dropped in. Thank and you. thank you, Larry. Thank you, and Thanks, everybody. I don't even know if he's here, but also to Tyson Ernst, who is a, a loyal volunteer he is. on ACB Media. And I want to recognize him as well for being with us and all the work he does for ACB Media. So thank you to all of you. And thank you, David, for appointing me as chair of the awards committee. I love being chair of the awards committee because it's just such a feel good thing to be able to recognize people who are doing wonderful things. So thank you again to Pam and Jerry, and I hope I can come back next year and do this. And thank you to BSCB for supporting the awards. Thank you, Kim. And I have one other um, award to mention. Um, It was a suggestion of the awards committee and one that I fully supported, and I know you will support it. And that is uh, awarding our uh, last president, Brian Charlson, a lifetime membership to Bay State Council of the Blind. Um, I don't have to remind you of all that Brian has done for BSCB, for ACB, and for the blindness community in general. Uh, Just a few impressions for why I think, um, you know, Brian, Brian's contributions are are so uh, amazing. He's served as a mentor to me, both at work and at BSCB. I learned so much from him uh, at the Carroll Center uh, when he was working there. When he retired two or three summers ago, um, normally when people leave, there's maybe a small gathering. Uh, Many of you were there. You know, the room was packed. The room was absolutely packed. Um, And that's because Brian has touched so many people in his 35 and some odd years at the Carroll Center. Um, As an officer of, uh, well, a board member and then an officer of BSCB, um, I was just always so impressed by uh, what Brian had to say, his knowledge, his wisdom, his common sense. And um, so he's also been a mentor to me on BSCB. Uh, I don't know how many times now as president or in some officer position in the past, I'd sort of be scratching my head about some particular problem or a little pickle I got myself into. I'd ask Brian, you know, what, what do you think we should do about this? And I was always amazed at his common sense ideas, his common sense ideas of solutions. And I'd still leave those meetings scratching my head thinking, why didn't I think of that? Um, And we know how much Brian has contributed constantly to BSCB as president. Uh, He has, you know, during this convention, of course, he's dealing with the resolutions. He's going to be one of the auctioneers. He'll be doing, he's dealing with voting a number of other things. So it's it's my honor. I hope Brian's on the call. He's probably busy doing something else BSCB related right now if he's not on the call. Um, but um, it's my honor, uh, Brian, to uh, offer you a lifetime membership and Bay State Council of Blind. Excuse me. <laughs> we got a little emotion here fl- fl- flying around the room. <laughs> what happens when you get... I, the other day, uh, Kim and I were asked to uh, speak at a an event over at the Wheelock Family Theater, and we were asked to write a description of ourselves. 
which is the in thing these days uh, in meetings. So I said, uh, let's see, a 60-something, gray-haired, gray mustache, wearing dark glasses. So that's my description of self these days. It's all uh, visual for those kinds of things. Thank you so much to the Bay State Council for this honor. It's uh, something I don't take lightly by any means. It is such an incredible organization. Um, you know, grassroots is an overused term I I felt uh, for many entities, but for Bay State Council and our parent organization, ACB, it's always been grassroots. It's not what a person does is what we do together. I think there's a Helen Keller quote in there somewhere, uh, but it's one I very, very much believe in. I'm so proud of those who received awards today. Uh, I can't tell you um, how important uh, the friendship and camaraderie and uh, all of those things I've had with Heather Campbell Thomas over the years. We share many things, including our birthday. And uh, it made going to work each day just a pleasure to know that she was there. She was frequently there before I got there. She was frequently there when I left. Uh, always working on that next thing and to be able to interact with other BSCB members like Jennifer Harnish and um, Maria Ruders and Brian Margie and all the other BSCBers that have been part of my professional life matters a great deal to me that we were able to work together in that regard. Now, we have a lot more to do today, so I'll leave it at that. And again, thank you very much for this honor. Thank you, Brian. Um, now, um, we have not gotten to our resolutions, but here, too, you know, I'm respectful, trying to be respectful of the time of our outside speakers. Um, so I promise we will get to resolutions, but I think it's a good idea for us to start with our next session. So I would like to uh, welcome representatives of Democracy Live, the organization uh, that has designed the accessible uh, ballot. Um, I think on on the line we have uh, Brian Finney, the CEO of Democracy Live and the founder, Charlie Cunyon, who's the director of uh, education and outreach, and Melissa Carney, who is also works in outreach and is hopefully going to give us a little demo of how the the ballot works. Um, so uh, welcome. And I don't know which of you wants to speak first. Well, thank you so much. My name is Brian Finney with Democracy Live, and it is a great honor to be a part of the Bay State Council of Blind meeting here um, this afternoon. Or if you're out here in Seattle like we are, it's still this morning. So um, it's a wonderful opportunity to come and, and, and present to you today uh, with my colleague, uh, Charlie Canoon, who's here today as well. And I believe we also have Melissa Carney, who will be joining us here shortly. And um, Melissa will be, uh, who's also a member, I believe, of the Council of the Blind, um, will be uh, presenting to you um, uh, a voting technology, a, a balloting technology that Democracy Live has actually deployed in, in Massachusetts um, to offer voters who are able and willing to be able to vote and, and access their ballot from home to um, be able to fully electronically, not just access, but also electronically return their ballot. Um, Massachusetts has been a, a real pioneering 
based in large part, I, I believe, because of, of uh, uh, you all on the call here today and your advocacy efforts that got, um, uh, at least at the local level, uh, certain jurisdictions to pioneer one of the first technologies in the country to allow voters with disabilities to be fully independent, fully uh, private, and access your ballot and electronically return it. So um, uh, one of the things that we wanted to just share with you today is that um, we want to continue uh, the momentum and the movement towards full accessibility in, in voting in Massachusetts and really around the country. Because I'll, I'll just, um, at, at, a, at a high level, I'll, I'll reintroduce myself um, as the founder of Democracy Live. Um, we got started back in 2008 uh, when more and more jurisdictions started going to um, 100% vote by mail. And so out here in Washington State, as an example, um, when they closed down the, the polling places and went to 100% vote by mail, that was, you know, it was great for, for those of us that could, could see or, or hold or mark a paper ballot uh, independently and privately. But for those of us who, who for those that can't, um, as I think Rutgers University mentioned, there's close to or maybe over 15 percent of voters with, with a disability who can't vote a, a paper ballot privately and independently. So we went to work and, and worked with um, a local disability disability advocates and, and the University of Washington Center for Technology and Disabilities to try to create an accessible absentee ballot um, experience. So we've been doing that now for for over a decade. Hats off to Massachusetts. Um, you all have, have really led the way in this last year. Um, there's, a, I think, four or five uh, jurisdictions, uh, localities in Massachusetts that really pioneered this effort of full and complete um, accessible absentee voting. And Melissa is going to walk you through that process here in a little bit. I'll reintroduce um, her to you in just a couple of seconds. But I do want to say um, that that one of the the uh, that what we've all experienced over the last number of years is, is you know, more and more voters are, are having the ability to vote at home. Um, and so one of the things we want to try to do is extend accessibility beyond the polling place. We are in no way at Democracy Live uh, um, wanting to replace polling place units. Those are vital. In fact, we offer those as well. Um, we partner with Microsoft and, and Dell to provide a polling place accessible unit. But what we've seen around the country now, and I think about 26 states offer, an ex at least that we support, um, offer an accessible option for voters who choose to vote at home to be able to access um, their absentee ballot and be fully enfranchised. Because, of course, all voters who, who want to um, can, can vote at home. But if you happen to have a disability, um, uh, you know, you have to go down to the polling place and vote on those machines. Um, what we want to try to do is provide choice and options that everybody can vote in whatever manner that you want, uh, just like your neighbors. If you want to go to the polling place and vote, that's terrific. If you want to be at home and vote privately and independently, you can do that as well. And um, so it's something that we've been doing now for, for uh, boy, over a decade. But over the last couple of years is the first time, again, in, in led in large part by what you all did in Massachusetts last year, um, to provide an accessible electronic return. Now, that being said, um, I'm not certain yet that um, the state of Massachusetts is going to be offering an accessible option for absentee voting. I 
maybe you all know more than I do. I will continue to, to reach out to the state um, to see if, this, if, if they're looking to provide this, this, uh, this tool. I know they did in 2020 to at least provide voters the opportunity to access their ballot, mark it, and then you printed it out. That's what the state did in 2020. In 21, certain localities um, were able to um, offer voters the ability to electronically return it. So it didn't require a printer. Now, in 2022, I'm not exactly certain what the the plans are for the state. Uh, The hope is that, you know, you don't go backwards, that you continue moving forward with full um, accessibility and voting. And so we can talk about that as well. In the entire group here, um, what we can do is we can continue just kind of discussing uh, what, what has uh, what, what took place in, in Massachusetts last year. We can also talk about current legislation um, that would would uh, help uh, Massachusetts once again be on the forefront of full uh, accessible voting. Um, that's taking place, I believe, right now. And, and we can kind of explain that as well. Um, but before I move uh, forward through the conversation here, and, and, and while that maybe is getting uh, arranged so, so Melissa can do the demo, and if she can't, that's perfectly fine as well. We, we can certainly um, uh, explain how the technology works and, and, and talks about some of the issues. Um, I was going to say that too, Brian. If, if we can't get this up and running, we're happy to. I'm happy to talk through it from a screen reader perspective, and maybe it's possible to arrange a, a, a demo after convention as well. Terrific. Thanks, Melissa. So I'll, at a very high level, I'll, I'll just say that, um, you know, we all know how the importance of, of uh, having equal access to the ballot and voting privately and independently. Um, there are two options that were deployed or have been deployed in Massachusetts. Uh, the first time, I think in 2020, voters were, um, they went to the, and, and we didn't conduct the election in 2020, but I, so, but I, I believe the way that it uh, worked is that the voters were, were um able to access their ballot and then print off their ballot, which is a, um, a, a, a standard way of doing it um, around the country. Again, as I, I mentioned, um, accessible absentee voting is actually the fastest growing uh, kind of elections and voting technology in the country right now because you have more and more people voting at home. Um, you know, back in, in 2008, um, uh, when, you know, Deb Cook was out here in Washington State, she, she certainly remembers this. And that is um, when the voting locations out here in Washington State uh, kind of went away because we went to 100% vote by mail. There was this um, obvious need that, well, that's great for, for many voters, but what if you can't you know, see the ballot yourself independently? And so uh, in large part, uh, doing some work through the University of Washington Count, um, Center for Technology and Disabilities and with input, we created this, this portal is really what it is. It's a balloting portal. It's hosted in AWS, uh, Amazon Web Services. So it's a cloud environment. From when we first started um, out here in Washington State uh, about a decade ago, we're now in about 26 states and about 2,500 jurisdictions. Most of the jurisdictions, at least for now, uh, voters are able to get a link and they uh, access this portal by using whatever screen reader, and I'll let uh, Melissa kind of talk about that, but at a high level, put your first, last date of birth, access your ballot using whatever device that you're using, whatever screen reader that you're using. Um, And in most states, when you get your ballot, you mark it, you can review it, listen to it, but then you have to print it off, 
what was really neat and 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 just extremely um, innovative and 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 powerful was was what you all did in this last 2021, which is to electronically return the ballot. And there's legislation happening right now in in the the state of Massachusetts to allow um, Massachusetts to allow all voters with disabilities that ability to not have to be required to own a printer or to print off the ballot. Um, and so I think I'll let Melissa um, explain how the electronic return works. So if you do want to engage with your legislature and, 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 and help lead, um, you know, the, the kind of push the ball all the way into the end zone here um, and, and make sure the legislation passes, you'll be better informed on how the technology works. So with that, I think I'll turn it over to Melissa and she can kind of walk you through from a screen reader perspective how it works to do the electronic return of the ballot as well. Thanks, Melissa. All right. So here we have, um, as Brian mentioned, we have the electronic ballot. So you know, you'll notice that on every page, there's a centralized heading at the top of the page announcing what the purpose of the page is. So the first page you're going to come through, come to in this process is top voter lookup. the voter lookup page. Right. Made voter lookup heading level one. So here's that heading underneath. You'll find the instructions. And this is, again, uniform for each page. So here's the instructions. Please fill in the fields to access your ballot. First name. Okay, first Required name. Required invalid entry yet form. We have an edit box. So in here, I'm going to type sample. S. Required. Ample. Last name. Required invalid entry. Okay, here I'm going to type voter. Tab. Voter. Month combo box required. I'm going to down arrow to January. One. Tab. Day combo box required invalid. Tab or arrow down to the first. One. As you can see, these are combo boxes. Tab once again. Your combo box required. In I'm going to down arrow to 1999. Tab once more. Forms mode off. Voter lookup. Continue button. Now that those credentials have been entered in, I'm going to press space on continue. Voter lookup. Voter op mode is enabled. Voter lookup. Main menu. Select an election heading level one. Please select an election for select button. Omni ballot demo election. Okay. Warning. Yeah, that's the one that, that you the want. Yeah. Okay. Select that's the one. So select here. Sorry, I ended up on a more general page. Okay. So select here. Main region verification heading level one. Okay. So ignore that part of it. <laughs> the second page that you'll get to after voter credentials um, is this extra step of verification. So this is in lieu of the physical signature, as Brian was talking about. This accessible. This process would be fully accessible. So here you have that extra step. There's the heading. Please heading level one verification. It says verification. We'll down arrow to hear the instructions. Please enter PIN to verify your identity. Okay. PIN. Required invalid and forms. So we're going to go secured. into this field and type one, two, three, four. Star, star, star. Forms mode off. Continue button. Tab to continue. Press space. Voter lookup. Main region, ballot marking heading level one. And as the heading so helpfully announced, we're now on the ballot marking phase of the process. So once again, we'll down arrow to hear the instructions. Your ballot is presented below. To mark your selection, click on the checkbox. To remove a selection, click on the checkbox again. To vote for a qualified write-in candidate who is not listed on the ballot, click the checkbox beside the write-in space at the end of the candidate list. Then type the candidate's name in the space. Heading level 2 official ballot. 
All right. So this ballot is organized by heading. So every contest is its own heading. So it's very easy to, to go through. All right. So H for heading. For U.S. Senator heading level three. Down arrow. Vote for not more than one. Group start for U.S. Senator. Here. Three checkboxes. Here are your options. It'll tell you the exact number you have to choose from. Santa Claus checkbox not checked. Ebenezer Scrooge checkbox not checked. Ryden checkbox not checked. Okay, so we're going to select Santa. Ebba Santa Claus checked for U.S. Senator Group. Santa Claus checkbox checked. And as you'll notice, it will read the associated contest along with your selection. So there's no confusion there. So we will move on to the next heading in contest. Once again, using H. For representative to Congress heading level three. Down arrow. Vote for not more than one. Group start for representative to Congress. Four checkboxes. Amelia Earhart checkbox not checked. Charles Chuck Eager checkbox not checked. Charles Lindbergh checkbox not checked. Ryden checkbox not checked. I'm going to up arrow and choose Amelia Earhart. Charles Charles Amelia Earhart check for representative to Congress group. Amelia Earhart checkbox not checked. Check. Okay. Next heading. City Council heading level three. Down arrow. Vote for not more than two. Group start city council. Okay, so that's a little different. You'll notice that it's asking you to vote for two candidates instead of one. So what I'm going to do here is make an intentional error for you all. So you see what happens and how the system directs you to fix an error if you were to select the wrong number of candidates. Now you have the option to bypass this, but it does let you know just in case that was a mistake. Five checkboxes. Okay, so here are our options. Johnny Cash checkbox not checked. Elvis Presley checkbox not checked. Dolly Parton checkbox not checked. Right in one of two checkbox. So I'm going to check Dolly. Dolly Parton checkbox. City Council Group. Dolly Parton checkbox checked. Okay. And for now, keep that error in mind when we're going through the review process. But for now, I'm going to move on to the next contest. For City Waste Director heading level three. Down arrow. Vote for not more than one. Group start for City Waste Director. Two checkboxes. DR. William McDougal checkbox not checked. Here I'll demonstrate a. Write in checkbox not checked. Write in candidate. So all you have to do is check that box. For City Waste Director group. Write in checkbox checked. Down arrow. Write in. Edit. Okay, you'll see an edit box. So click on that. Forms mode on. Six. Okay, and I'm going to write in our lovely CEO, Brian. Okay. Oh, Brian. Thanks, Melissa, for City Waste Director. That, that's nice of you. Thank you. You're welcome. I figured you'd appreciate it. It's a, it's a good change of career, right? Appropriate, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so if you up arrow. Write in. Edit Brian. You'll see that that write-in candidate is now in that edit box. Okay, so we're going to move on to the next contest. Once again, H for heading. Article 1, heading level 3. All right. And here, Vote yes or no. it's a text-based, um, it, it's, it's um, about adding uh, wards to the borders of Votersville. I'm going to skip over this text just in the interest of time, but just understand that this is a text-based um, contest. So we can skip past Social this. Wards of civil among the three war groups start article one, two checkboxes. Okay. Yes, checkbox not checked. No, checkbox not checked. We're going to press space on yes to select yes, it. Yes, checkbox not checked. Article 1 group. Yes, checkbox checked. Okay, down arrow. No, checkbox not checked. Continue to down arrow. Group end. Go back button. Continue button. Press space on the continue button. 
Ballot marking, main region, selection review, heading level one. There's that handy announcement heading letting you know that you're on the review page that comes after the ballot marking. So we'll down arrow for instructions. Your ballot choices are shown below. To change any selection, click the change button next to your selection. Heading level two, official ballot. Once again, we're going to navigate with headings. For U.S. Senator heading level three. There's the contest name. Santa Claus. Our selection. Change for U.S. Senator button. And the change button for that specific contest. So once again, next heading. For representative to Congress heading level three. Amelia Earhart. Change for representative to Congress button. Okay, next contest. City Council heading level three. Pay close attention here. Dolly Parton. Warning. Missing one of two selections. Okay, so that's that error message that I warned you about that would pop up if you selected the wrong number of candidates for a contest. Once again, just to reiterate, you don't have to change it, but you can in case it was actually a mistake. So I'm going to show you how you would do that. Change city council button. You'll press that change button that's associated with the contest. City council heading level three. Okay, it's going to bring you to that um, specific contest on the ballot. So all you have to do is down arrow. Vote for not more than two. You'll have the same um, the same set of instructions, the same candidates. So Dolly is already checked, so we just have to choose an additional candidate here. So we're going to choose Elvis. Group star five check. Johnny Cash check. Elvis Presley check. City Council group. Elvis Presley check. Box check. All right. Dolly Parton check. Box check. You see that she's still checked. Right in. Right in. Group end. And once you've made the additional selection, go back to review page button. Okay, you arrow down to this button. City Council heading level three. And once again, it will bring you back to the review page where you left off. If you down arrow, Elvis Presley, Dolly Parton, change city council button. Okay, it's uniform with the rest of the contest in the review page. So that error message has disappeared. Okay, so we can move on to the next contest. For city waste director heading level three, Ryan Bryan, change for city waste director button. And finally, article one heading level three, yes. Okay, so once you've reviewed your selections and you feel comfortable with them, we can move on. So you'll down arrow. Change article link. Skip the go back button. Continue button. Press space on continue. Continue button. Signature heading level one. Okay. Here's Main the- region. Signature heading level one. Here's the part we're all excited about. So this is where you can sign your name electronically and you don't have to worry about where the heck you're going to sign on an envelope or you don't have to worry about... Uh, you know, dating it, any any of those inaccessible instructions, you don't have to worry about them anymore with this type of system if it is implemented in Massachusetts. So I'm going to down arrow here so you can see the instructions. Please sign your name in the space provided below. Click the sign button. Okay, you're going to press space on that. Signature pad heading level two. Signature pad modal dialogue. Down arrow. Please use the text field below to enter your signature. Press sign above or type your name here. Edit. Okay, we're going to edit. We're going to enter into that edit box. I'm going to type in sample voter. Sample. Escape. Voter. Forms mode off. Reset button. There's a reset button. Done button. And a done button. I'm going to press done. Main region. Signature. Sample voter graphic. So if you see, it's showing you an accessible image of what your written signature is. So it's saying sample voter. Signature. Sample voter graphic. All right. So underneath that. Um, display of your signature. Click the change signature button. There's the change button if you're not satisfied. Go back button. Continue button. And finally the continue button. So we're going to press that. Continue button. Electronic return heading level one. 
Okay, that handy announcement heading again, down arrow. You are about to return your ballot submission electronically. Please complete the following steps to complete your ballot package submission. View package. Heading level 2, step 1 of 1, submit. Click on the button below to electronically return ballot package to your county. Submit button. Right, you'll press space on submit. Electronic return, submitting. Wait Main for. region, success. Heading level 1. Here your ballot and ballot return materials have been submitted successfully. Please allow for up to three business days after submission to process your ballot. If you have questions about whether your ballot has been received and processed, contact your local elections office for further information. Thank you for voting. All right, and that, Meeting con- that concludes our demonstration. Um, I hope that was straightforward enough for everyone to follow. But as you can see, it's very uniform throughout, and you do not need advanced um, screen reader skills to be able to navigate this type of system. Also, let it be known that this system has been tested with over 90 combinations of browsers and screen readers. So you have the ability to use whatever assistive technology you feel most comfortable with. So there's a lot of flexibility involved. Um, I was able to use the system in Pennsylvania when I lived there before and hopefully in New York where I am now. And I hope it'll be implemented in Massachusetts with, with your advocacy efforts. Thank you so much. Terrific. Melissa, thank you so much for that demonstration. And um, again, we'll stop for any questions that anybody might have, but then we'll wrap it up by talking about what some of the legislative action that's taking place um, in Massachusetts right now. So thank you, Melissa. And thank you, Brian. Do we have some raised hands? Question, I guess, is about the signature itself. Um, I noticed that um, Melissa typed into uh, an edit box to get the signature. Um, and there was some kind of graphic that was put up on the screen. What what actually gets put up there? I mean, it, it's not really your signature. So what actually is it? It's a great, uh, great question. So that's just a, uh, it's an auto generated signature. Uh, that's, that's, um, that appears on the screen. Um, earlier in the process, you may recall when uh, Melissa was going through it, she put in a PIN number. Um, so every state is going to be a little bit different on, on terms of uh, their uh, credentialing process. It could be a PIN. It could be your PIN plus um, something else like the last four of your Social Security. It, it could be other types of uh, credentialing for voters who are not able to um actually sign their, their name. Um, but that's what was up there, was just an auto-generated uh, signature when she typed it in. Okay, so it's it's that PIN number that um, that uh, tags back to let the signature be validated? That's correct, yes. Okay, thank you. You bet. I have a question for you, Brian, and we have no other raised hands. Is this the same system um, that those of us who were lucky enough to vote last year electronically used, or is this different in some way from that system? Well, in 2020, they they used another system to electronically deliver the ballot and then print it out. No, no, no. The one in 2021 that some of us got to do the pilot in. Yes, that is the same system. It is. It is. Well, I just want to say that for one of the people who used it, it was flawless. And I would encourage people to be really thrilled about this because it was 
the best I have so far seen of any electronic systems. David, I don't know how much time we have left. We have one more raised hand. Uh, I want to mention one thing. Uh, We have till three o'clock. However, I'd like to end it just a little bit early because, well, speaking of accessible elections, we have election results. So if we can maybe go to about two, let's say 256, 257. Okay. Um, Myra, you may go ahead and uh, speak. This was a great presentation. Thank you very much. Um, I have not been able to vote that way in my town last year, but I'm hoping that somebody who knows precisely um, what's happening in the legislature right now, where they are in their process, can send out an information sheet to us about the, um, the numbers of the legislation and what they each are so we know how to advocate, because I think this is really important, and I, I hope that we can get something really concrete to work with when we write a letter or make a phone call. That's all. Thank you very much for all this information. You bet, Myron. And we can follow up with, with uh, David or, or Jeanette um, on, on those bills. Um, they are Senate Bill 2554 and House Resolution 4367. Those include other other topics such as vote by mail and, and same day voter registration. But within that, um, what, what the advocates are in, who are um, members of the legislature, they're trying to include an accessible option to be able to vote as well. Um, so of course that never happens unless uh, the advocates can advocate and, and the people ask for it. Um, this is being done, just so you know, um, in, in, in like seven or eight other states, including places like West Virginia. And God bless, um, you know, West Virginia and Alabama and South Carolina and North Carolina. Um, and and um, so it's, it's, it's being done. It's, it's proven. It's never been compromised. A lot of security around it that we can discuss. But in every one of those instances, it was because, you know, people rose up and, and really demanded it and asked their legislature to support it. Brian, could I ask a question? Um, of course. Obviously, the focus, you know, the ideal would be for us to get a statewide bill passed. Does it make any sense here in Massachusetts uh, for us to be advocating in our individual cities and towns? You know, last year, um, because it wasn't statewide elections or federal elections, uh, the localities, like I mentioned earlier, um, had the opportunity to go ahead and, 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 and make it available um, to those voters that, that requested it. And so that was on a locality by locality basis. I believe in federal and statewide elections, there needs to be um, either a decision uh, made by the state or legislature um, to pass a bill. In some, excuse me, in some states, they all they realize already that under the Americans with Disabilities Act, that absentee voting is a government program, and so they've in some states went ahead and just made it available. In other states, it's in, been because of either litigation, threats of litigation, or legislation that allowed them to uh, turn it on at the for the federal elections. Our city clerk was thrilled, and they commented on how easy it was to work with everybody on this. Yeah, these uh, bill numbers is it state or federal? These are state, right? Those are state. That's a state legislature. Okay, House, Bill, House Bill 2554. And, and 4367. Um, those bills are about 
uh, offering permanent vote by mail as well as a same day voter registration. But there are those in the legislature that are trying to get accessible absentee voting put into that larger bill and put that into this conference bill. And, and the, the hope would be is that that'd be the fastest, the fastest way of, of, of getting it accomplished. So this is pertaining to the voting, ba- the ballots, accessibility. Yes, Jerry. Essentially, yes, Jerry, that's correct. Trying to clarify, if this bill does pass um, in the state legislature, will it then also cover the town elections? I don't know the answer to that. Um, uh, I I don't know the answer to that. Um, Yeah. What we've seen around the country is is that um, unless it specifies that all elections are covered, Oftentimes, it, it may just cover the statewide and, and the federal elections. And so, again, and, and what we can do is we can follow back up, uh, David, with, with you and, and, and um, tell you who the, the sponsors are of, of this within the legislature, if you don't know it already. But perhaps to make sure that the language gets tightened, you know, tightened up, if that's what you all want, to make sure that it would cover all elections. That would be good. That would be good. Sure. Okay. Um, I think that maybe it is a good time to break. We didn't plan it this way, but, you know, announcing our accessible voting elections after this accessible voting session for our first vice president, when the next person teed up as the ACB vice president, I guess that's a good natural segue. Uh, but let me announce the voting results. I'm going to go to my little spreadsheet, make sure I say it right. So a total of 54 votes were cast. Of those 54, uh, two were, were illegible, illegible, I guess. I guess the message just was a bit garbled. Uh, the results are uh, Sharon Strakowski had 31 vo- votes or 50, 57% of the total. Frank Ventura had 21 votes. 39% of the votes. And as I say, there were those two additional uh, bad ballots for 4%. So Sharon is our new first vice president. Before Sharon says a few words on behalf of the board, you know, I'd like to thank Frank for his service as first vice president. I think, uh, you know, Jeanette, uh, very succinctly in two minutes, you know, said a lot about uh, what Frank's contributions have been, all the work he's done, the yeoman's work he's done on on many of our conventions, um, his fantastic technology skills that have helped us with some of our, our information technology, and just a number of other things. So, um I'd like to thank you, Frank. And I should also mention your, your act, how active you are um, at the national level with uh, Derwood McDaniel and so on. So, so thank you, Frank. Um, Sharon, um, would you like to say a few words before we go on to our next session? Yes, thank you very much. This is truly an honor, and I'm uh, grateful for those who did vote for me and uh, for those who voted for Frank. He's a great candidate, too. Um, I just want to say um, I'm somewhat of a techie, but not so much that I don't appreciate the regular phone. So uh, shortly hereafter, all my information will go up on the website and people are welcome to email me or to call me 
uh, on the phone, whichever they feel more comfortable in doing. And I look forward to working with the great board that we have and all the committees. Thank you. Let me just add one other thing, and that is uh, that, you know, Sharon uh, took over from me as chair of, well, then the Publications Committee, and now officially the Communications Committee, sometime around the middle of last year. And she has done a great job with that. She's done a great job with our third Thursdays, really, you know, uh, taking over the lead role in that. So certainly no stranger to the board, that's for sure. Been on many of the board calls, too. So we welcome you back to the uh, the board. You were secretary a while back, too. And um, congratulations on your election. Uh, if she is here, uh, well, we're one minute ahead, except you know, I have not forgotten resolutions. We'll get to those somehow at some point. But again, and whenever we have an outside speaker, we want to respect the, uh, the agenda for out, outside speakers. Our, our special super guest, our super special guest speaker today is Deb Cook-Lewis, who is the first vice president of ACB. Now, personally, I don't know Deb, but I do know her from a lot of the community calls, see her an email, whenever she says something. Um, it always makes a lot of sense. I know people listen, and they listen for good reasons, uh, because she always has good, solid, intelligent things to say. So, uh, Deb Cook-Lewis, it's my honor to um, uh, welcome you to the Bay State Council of the Blind 2022 uh, Spring Convention. Well, thank you, David. That's great. And I'm I'm very nervous now that you gave me that big introduction, because that means I have kind of a higher standard to... Um, <laughs> to achieve and that worries me so uh, I wanted to make a couple of comments just coming in first of all thank you so much for inviting me um, it's, it's just amazing and a thrill to be here I think um, one of the things that I used to want to do you know somebody said well if you ever became an officer in uh, ACB or a board member um, what what would you like to do? You know, and I, I know they were probably thinking about great change things or great something. And I said, well, I'd really like to, um, you know, have the opportunity to visit more state conventions. Uh, that would just be, to me, one of the most interesting things you could do. Well, in those days, back in those days, you know, all of the state conventions, with very few exceptions, were were pretty much in person only. Some A few were streamed on uh, ACB, uh, we used to call it radio back in the old days, right? Uh, on on ACB uh, media, but most were actually just um, in person. And so it was always a daunting task to get to some other state's convention, particularly if you're out in my part of the country where states are a little farther apart and um, some of the contiguous states don't have an affiliate. So that that was always a big challenge to me. But I really um, have enjoyed one of the, you know, when you talk about the things that have happened in the pandemic and whether they're good and they're not good, and there are many, many things that have been really tough for all of us. But one of the things I have thoroughly enjoyed, especially being a part of ACB Media is the opportunity to actually come to so many um, 
affiliate convention. So I, I think I would never have been to so many had we been having them all in person. And I'm delighted to be uh, kind of in and out of yours. I'm also doing some help for Illinois this weekend. So I'm a little bit multitasking all weekend, but it's, it's just great to be with you. It's also a tough act for me to follow Brian Finney from Democracy Live. And uh, so um, uh, Brian gave away one of the um, little trivia pieces about um, my involvement in things over the past years. My employer, uh, the University of Washington Center on Technology and Disability Studies, was a partner uh, with Democracy Live in the development of the system that they have now, which has morphed over time and changed some and will undoubtedly continue to change. But one of the really exciting uh, things for my career was being able to uh, participate with uh, Brian and their crew in, in the development of that system and, and to be part of a, um, an organization that was really cutting edge um, in thinking about the future of voting and what would actually be required. And of course, that was pushed along nicely by my state uh, who adopted the 100% vote by mail system, which made it actually that they uh, discriminated against any people really who needed to go to a polling place to vote because nobody else had to. So um, that, that's been a big challenge and a real motivator for me. And everyone's familiar from Brian that, oh, we should come back and do some more work for us. And, and I look at my calendar and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, I only sleep a couple hours a night now and I'd be given those up for Brian? I don't know. So, um, but it is great to see that uh, Massachusetts is also very interested in this area and, um, and that's marvelous. So, I wanted to do just a very few things today. Uh, when when uh, Brian Charlson called me to um, ask if I would do this, he didn't give me a whole lot of guidance about what to do. And that is dangerous because then, you know, that means I'm going to do whatever I want to. Um, but I will do it quickly and and uh, that will be a good thing for you all. I want to, at the very end, if there's time, I, I do want to be open for any questions at all, just because I learn a lot about what people are interested from that. But I do want to share a few things with you. So, I thought I'd give you a, a few pieces of trivia about me, because after all, you invited me and, and you know, am I one of my favorite topics? Well, of course. So, um, I know that you all went around this morning and introduced yourselves and uh, gave out your uh, uh, birth month and I think birthday in most cases. So, I will divulge that I'm from the month of March. Um, I'm March 12th. And so, um, I would have responded in that time. But at that point, I was busy making coffee. It was 6.30 in the morning, 7 o'clock in the morning here. So, I was busy getting some stuff together as I was listening to the stream. And uh, thanks to uh, Tyson for uh, doing that for us. Um, that's been great. So anyway, um, uh, I'm in March. Now, the other pieces of trivia that I'm going to give you are not quite so obvious. I'm from Massachusetts, and most people don't know that. Um, now, I'm pretty far from Massachusetts um, because um, I was born. Um, th there was a song written about that, uh, the, the Chelsea Morning song. So, <laughs> um, so I, I was born in, uh, in uh, Chelsea. And my parents moved 
uh, just actually um, weeks after I was born. So I have absolutely no memory of living in Boston. And um, when people ask me where I'm from, I always say I'm from Washington State, unless, you know, we're, we're getting technical here. And then I have to say that, that I'm from Chelsea. But anyway, I actually am. And so we always wonder, um, you know, what, what would have been different in your life had, had some circumstance been slightly different? I always have interesting fantasies about that, and it's fun to do. So I always thought, well, I now let's see, what would be different if I had grown up in Boston versus growing up? just south of Seattle. And, you know, it's all kinds of interesting things with that. Um, I had another uh, brush with Boston in 1983. I actually uh, had a plan to move to Boston uh, for some uh, personal reasons and relationships and came to uh, see if I could find a job and such and was offered a job at Perkins um, to help them start a, a technology department. They didn't really have one going yet, but they wanted to. And um, um, so I, I was offered that opportunity and at the time decided for a variety of reasons, none of which had to do with Perkins, um, that it wasn't going to be the right thing for me to move to Boston. So I, I didn't do it. But there's another one of those pivotal places in your life where you wonder what would be different, you know, if I had carried out that particular plan. So I suppose there's still time for me to uh, move to Boston. But in the meantime, I'm uh, just outside Lewiston, Idaho, on the Washington State side of the river. And it couldn't be any farther from the atmosphere of, of a big city. So that's, that's kind of crazy. The other really fun piece of trivia about me that that I sort of enjoy divulging, which is in, unusual and which I encountered accidentally, is that where I do currently live in Clarkston, Washington, you get the little Lewiston-Clarkston idea. Uh, we're at the end of the Lewis and Clark Trail, of course. And um, the, um, the piece of trivia that's kind of interesting about all that is that Clarkston is the highest zip code in the contiguous 48 states. Now, that's not super useful for anything, but it is one of those things that if you go look it up, you'll find out that our zip code 99403 is, in fact, the highest zip code in the 48 contiguous states. I hope I figure it out if they add any more and I turn out to be wrong because, you know, I've kind of liked this one. I thought this was this was kind of fun to keep track of, but um, that's all great. So, you know, the other thing I wanted to do, I, I don't want to spend too much time giving you updates about ACB. It used to be that um, when uh, you had someone come and talk at the national level at your convention, their, their primary job was to sort of update you, uh, update us, whoever we were talking, um, about things in the national organization because we just didn't have a clue what was going on around us unless we had been so fortunate as to be at the convention. But, you know, we're in a different day and so much of what we do on ACB is available, of course, through 
through Zoom for us to participate in directly or via ACB Media uh, for us to participate in uh, very directly. And we have so much communication with, with uh, things like uh, dots and dashes and the, the Braille Forum and all of the things that we have that are just constantly uh, barraging us with information about our organization. And I'm glad for that. And by the way, I, I just wanted to commend you on changing your concept of publications to uh, communication, because I think that that is exactly what we're really talking about, is how do we get information out to people? How do we make sure that people uh, have what they need when they need it in a way that they can consume it at a time they can consume it? And so, you know, I I think that that that's a good um, future vision. But the one big thing in ACB I just want to continue to promote, um, and you all have talked about it some here today, is our upcoming national convention and the big experiment <laughs> that we are going to be successful with, by golly. Uh, we're going to have our first national hybrid convention. And I am so excited about this because uh, we are really going to be um, expanding our vision for how people will participate. And we know that in the last two years when we have had our virtual conventions, we have had for pretty obvious reasons, we've had about twice as many people participate in the virtual conventions as have been able to participate in our in-person conventions in the past. We also know that our convention attendees are getting younger. I have to figure out how to promote that because if we could actually start a rumor that our members are just getting younger, that might attract a lot of new members for us. But in the meantime, I do know that the attendance is is gradually becoming younger people. And that's been one of the concerns and goals of our organization nationally and of many of our affiliates for some time. And it's actually happening. And one of the things that has promoted that has been our virtual conventions, which have been so very much more flexible in many ways than our in-person conventions could be. So now this year, we're actually going to bring that all together and try it all and and do it all and i i think it's going to be a little bit awkward this year because uh due to the various constitutional requirements and various things that people uh feel pretty tied to um and and a lot of traditions that we have it's actually making our convention a little long um and 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 that's just my opinion but i think it'll be everyone's opinion by the time we're done so it's going to be a little challenging and i think over the next few years we're going to be having to tweak on this and figure out how to do it but but i am excited that we're doing that in omaha and we don't have time for me to tell you my funny Omaha story. I've only been to Omaha one other time, but it was so memorable, I will never forget it. So um, if you come to the convention in person and you want to join me in the bar to hear my very funny Omaha story, we'll do it because it's it's hysterical. So I'm hoping that my trip to Omaha this time is event eventful, but not quite as eventful as my other trip was about 20 years ago. But anyway, I, I want to encourage you about the convention 
convention, and I want to encourage you in your chapters to uh, promote the convention. And for any of you who can uh, come in person, I know there are a lot of factors that um, uh, play into in-person attendance. So I, it's, it's much more than COVID. It's certainly a piece of it for some people, but gosh, there are a lot of factors. So um, if you can be with us in person um, for, for part or all of the convention, that would be so wonderful. But if you uh, cannot, and it's not making sense for you for whatever reason, I hope you'll be joining us virtually. I, um, because I work on the convention committee and I work on some of the logistics, I have had the privilege of looking at the agenda from top to bottom. I probably can't recite it for you yet, but I think I'll be able to about next week at this time because uh, it starts getting pretty intense now. Um, and I can tell you that we have a wonderful agenda planned and both the uh, affiliates and the um, uh, national part of the convention, special interest affiliates and committees and programs and national uh, events of the convention. Um, you won't want to miss it. So I, I hope you don't miss it. But if you do miss it, we're going to podcast it all and you can, you know, digest it later. So um, I just really can't say enough about all that. Uh, The other thing that I wanted to just kind of leave you with is a little bit of perspective about leadership, because um, people ask me pretty often what I think about that topic. And I have got no clue. The longer I am involved in any kind of leadership, the more I realize that I have no clue. But I do want to start an interesting rumor. We, we, we often see in the media people uh, coming up with things and telling us that they're facts, no matter what uh, kind of uh, faction of the politics or other things that you're part of. It's true. Uh, it's kind of coming from all sides. So the one I would like to inform you is a total provable fact is that leadership has uh, three L's. And, and you thought it had one, but it actually has three. So I think there are three, three elements to the leadership process that I think are incredibly important and, and that I try to apply and, and that I encourage you, you to apply as you think about that. And, you know, we all lead in some way. So there are those people we elect you know, and congratulations to Sharon and, and, and all of that. But, you know, there are the people we elect, but then all the rest of us are, are leading at something somewhere, whether it's in a committee or whether it's in an activity or whether it's a thought or whether it's just supporting something. We all have a place for that. So what, what do leaders do? I th- what do I think leaders actually do? And so the first thing I think leaders do, the first L of it is look to the future. So do we have a vision for our future? Do we have a plan for our future? And one of the things I was listening to uh, David Trott, who was uh, kind of filling this role for Illinois this morning and was seeing if I could crib anything from his presentation. And I could. I was glad I got something. And he was talking about the ACB Legacy Fund and how it is part of ACB's plan to ensure its future. So we want 
and I loved that. I was like, yeah, that's good. And, um, and you know, the treasurer would come up with that. But, you know, I don't come up with stuff like that. So um, that's why I have to give credit where credit's due. But basically, um, you know, thinking about our future. So what are your goals, whether it's your chapter, whether it's your affiliate, whether it's you personally, whether it's us on a national level, you know, making sure that you have a future plan, that you have a vision for the future, that you do expect to be here. If, if not you personally, you do expect uh, something to be, you know, here in Massachusetts, 50 years from now or whatever. And, and, and that we want to, we want to build for that future. So that's our first, our first L. It, it makes pretty good sense. Well, now, you know, kind of probably, you can probably guess out where I'm headed because now I'm going to look to the past and that is about learning from our past. So we have a long history, a long legacy here in ACB and the Bay State affiliate. Let's see, you said it's 50 years for you um, uh, this weekend. And, um, you know, and that's like, wow, you know, so that's a long time. And um, so, and, and we have other affiliates that go back that way. And, and, um, you know, and, and ACB is on its 60th. And yes, yes, that's all good too, you know. So basically, um, l- learning from the past, and that doesn't mean living in the past. That would be the wrong L. And it doesn't mean, you know, being stuck in the past. And it doesn't mean saying, well, we've always done it that way. Um, and I think we're all sometimes guilty of that. Change is hard. And I have never been a proponent of change for its own sake. Although my husband tells you that he thinks I might be, but I'm not. So, um, but I am definitely interested in in knowing our history, knowing what is, is there to be proud of in it, and knowing what there is to perhaps not repeat again, and knowing what has worked and what hasn't worked, or what worked at a particular time, but not might not be working in a changed world. And David said this morning in his remarks that, you know, things were different now and we weren't really going back. And that's really true. Well, that doesn't mean everything's different, but it means many things that we have thought are a particular way are, you know, going to be different, potentially very positively different if we do them right. So I think learning from the past is as important as, as, you know, looking to the future. And the final one that I want to give you, though, is that we have to live in the present. And I think, you know, we can, we can be so focused on our future, we can be so focused on our past, that we forget the here and now. And here and now is where we need to be focused in, in serving our members, in reaching our goals, in, in bringing our past forward, in helping our uh, long history of, of members, um, both the past ones and the future ones. You know, I love that we're an organization that has a special interest affiliate that deals with aging and a special interest affiliate that deals with next gen and a special interest affiliate that deals with students, because that tells me that we're trying to um, encompass the range of 
of people and activities. It doesn't mean that we always do it entirely successfully, but but that's our our focus and our energy. So in the present, we have to be listening to each other. We have to be thinking that through. We have to be appreciating our diversity. We have to be looking at how we can expand that and how we can be as inclusive as possible. And and I um, am excited about many of the things that ACB is doing along those lines. I think there's a lot more we can be doing, and I'm hoping that we will be doing. So, I'm pretty excited about all those things. So, Basically, in a nutshell, those are the things that I kind of wanted to share with you today and to tell you um, how excited I am to be with you and to be following your convention this weekend and um, all of that. And so what I'd kind of like to do, and and anything is fair game, whether you want to ask me something or you want to ask me something about the organization, don't make it too hard. Um, but I would be glad to take any questions or comments from uh, the audience if you um, have some. I just want to say, hi, Deb. I feel like I'm in an I Can Connect training call. Oh, I know it. <laughs> I know it. It's great to talk to you. So good to see you, Jerry. <laughs> good to hear you. Really good to hear you. Yeah, and thank very you. inspiring talk. Thank oh, you. Oh, thank you so much. It's good. Yeah, Jerry and I Jerry and I went through lots of problem solving together in the I Can Connect conference call. Sometimes I think we were the only two talking. Yes, I think we were. <laughs> good thing we're both okay to do that, right? Mm, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I miss that a lot. One of the few things I miss about working, I love being <laughs> retired. I I would be glad to give a whole short course on why everybody should just retire as soon as they can. Because I'm, oh, I'm right with you on that. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. All right. Well, of course, I have to say hi to my friend, Deb. Hey, hi. How are you? Hey, good. Doing good. Good. I actually got to hear about 20 minutes of your show while during our lunch break. Oh, That's okay. That's the cool thing about Virtual yeah, conventions, you can walk over zone, to your stereo. Time zones do that for you. Yeah, yeah, that's, yes, yeah. That's right. Exactly. These guys have an oldie show every Saturday morning, Rick and Deb uh, Lewis on the Ride Radio, and it's a great station. It's also on Media 4, so I wanted yes. to give you a plug. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm just curious, because you know I'm a sports guy, so I like to know kind of what the score is. How yeah. does it look as far as comparing the planned attendees for the convention two months out, you know, beginning of May, it's, this mm-hmm. is what it is, uh, mm-hmm. Now, you, taking into account, of course, COVID, taking into mm-hmm. account that you're in a secondary market like Omaha and Rochester, similar in that way. Yeah, yes, yes. So yes. how so? How is it looking as far as if you took, you can't really compare it to 19, and nothing can compare to 19 and 22 because of COVID. But sure. generally, how does, is, is it looking okay? I know I'm not going to go, and, uh, you know, you were shocked, and, uh, you know, yeah, next year I'll be in Schomburg. Who, who am I going to have <laughs> big know, dinner with? Yeah. I know, yeah. I'm a bummer. But, you know, the thing is, how does it look? That's a good question. I know you're in those early morning calls every day, so uh, pretty much. Yes, all the time. yes. Every uh, almost every day, we're meeting at six a.m. my time to talk about the right. convention. Um, Chris, that's a great question, actually, and um, and of course, we really don't know yet because a we haven't opened registration yet. Right, registration right. opens in a couple of weeks, and I think it's like the 19th or something, if I recall. Um, so, so registration has not opened. So we're all kind of on the m- rumor train, right? You know, we interview you and we say, oh, nobody's going. And we interview someone else. And we say, oh, everybody's coming. Yeah, there you uh, go. So, but what I will tell you, we have some data. We have some data. Last year, uh, w- they took a survey um, 
after convention, as we always do, of the um, sort of how you how you did with convention, what you liked and what you didn't, and what did did and didn't work for you. And one of the questions that we asked was, um, so next year, if if all things are equal for you, you know, and and you never know, but if all things are relatively equal for you, um, you know, will you be attending at all? And if you will be attending, if you think you will be attending at all, will you be attending in person or will you be attending virtually? And we recognize that this was absolutely not a commitment. What we know is that the ratio is, I believe, about um, 60% to the virtual and probably about 40% to the in-person uh, based on that survey. And we also know from other organizations, we are not the first organization to attempt to have a hybrid event after having a number of virtual events the last couple of years. So, we had at the outset of this, a consultant that was working with us around thinking this through and thinking through the profiles of the different kinds of people who would be impacted and what they are likely to do. So, we have some data from those things, and those things all square out that same way, too. So, um, I think the secondary market is going to be a bit of an impact. Um, you know, I think some other things are are a bit of an impact, and so we do sometimes have slightly smaller conventions when we have them in those locations. And so that's not abnormal. The question that we are, of course, most concerned with is, will we break even with the costs that we have related to all of this? Because um, we have some specific commitments to the hotel for a number of nights and also for a number of meals that are related to the events. So, you know, if you have a scholarship lunch or your, your special interest affiliate has a lunch or something, you know, are, are we going to meet those goals? So, um, at this stage, we don't know whether we will meet those goals. Um, we suspect that the hotel is going to be somewhat negotiable with us about this because this is a pretty common problem. And we know from some of our other relationships that hotels do negotiate with us. So will we, you know, come out quite as well as we would like to? We aren't quite sure. But part of that is um, really the, the, the risk you take and the process you you undergo in reestablishing your physical presence and um, and getting the experiment all going and and working it through. So uh, ACB is okay with that, and we fiscally are okay to. We can't do that forever, but we are okay to do that this year and to to have those those risks of doing business because we feel the value of having an in-person convention um, or that that aspect of it is important enough to reestablish and that we need to do it now. So, um, and we're too late to back out of our hotel contract. <laughs> so you <laughs> if you really want to get down to the practical, that is part of it, but sure. Um, you know, that's a long answer, but the answer is, I think we're okay. I don't think we're going to be just gloriously. Okay. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mary Horian. Deb, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I always was impressed with you when you were chair of board of publications. I listened in on those meetings and I was very happy mm-hmm. when you ran and um, became 
ACB first vice president. Thank you. Um, I'm wondering, can you just talk a little bit about what your role as first vice president involves? I mean, obviously not all of the mm-hmm. details, but just kind of some generalities. What differentiates your position compared with like second VP or, or president? Sure. I, in a very simple way, um, my uh, I'm I'm studying Dan. Um, that would be the that would be the primary thing that's different from being the second vice president. Um, I am I shadow Dan in just about everything. Uh, we don't I don't go to every meeting he goes to, but we we talk about everything. We talk about decisions. We talk about processes because there there's a possibility depending on the preferences of the membership and et cetera et cetera that I might be doing that job someday. So we kind of it's a about succession planning and about um, development. So otherwise, um, my role is not a lot different than it ever was when I wasn't uh, first vice president. I'm still really involved with ACB media. I'm still really involved with um, convention preparation. I'm still really involved with the Board of Publications and um, uh, as an ex officio member now. And, um, and I'm still doing most of the things I was doing, plus all this little extra activity with uh with dan so <laughs> um that's really what the big difference is okay thank you yeah thank you deb so much for joining us and there is when it comes to acb there's a fourth ellen leadership and that's lewis so um, um <laughs> because so of much. all that you do for the organization so so thank you so much and um uh, next up is, needs no introduction because she's been talking all day, Jeanette Kutash and John Smith are going to talk about accessible, um, uh, well, how do we put it, how to make your vaccination records uh, accessible right out of your pocket. On January 10th, 2022, Governor Charlie Baker and Lieutenant Governor Karen Polito launched a tool for residents to access their COVID-19 digital vaccine card. It was called My Vax Record. This tool um, allows residents who are vaccinated in Massachusetts, and that's very important, this is not for people outside of Massachusetts, to access their own vaccination history and generate a COVID-19 digital vaccine card. These digital vaccine cards were produced by a system and are produced by a system that uses smart health card platform, which generates a QR code that can be used to verify vaccinations. Once the smart health card is received, there are three things you can do. You can save the QR code to your phone, such as an Apple wallet, or there's a way to do it in Android. I'm not discussing that today because I'm less familiar, but it will be in one of the two documents you get. You can screenshot the information and save it um, to your phone's photos, or you can print out a copy for a paper record. And I want to stop here and say one other thing, which is if you lose your card, and that information, you need to get it again. 
this is a huge advantage because you can't get your paper card replaced. MIIS in Massachusetts is the Massachusetts Immunization Information System. It is a system in the state which is used to record vaccination records. This system allows you to have a digital vaccine record to present for proof of COVID vaccinations. Uh, I will also tell you that the side benefit of this is that all of your other vaccine records that have been um, put in there by your healthcare provider after the system was um, put together are also in there and you and your healthcare providers can add any vaccinations that you would like to have added to the system. So it's a great thing. So how do you do this? You first go to myvaxrecords.mass.gov and um, it recommends that you use Safari for um, getting through this. And I don't know why, but we do know that um, Safari works better on this um, when you're getting it on the Apple phone Um, and also putting it in Apple wallet and putting it in your health. So then you go to uh, find my vaccine records. You enter information you were given when you got your vaccine. So if there's a match, they will send you a link to a copy of your vaccine record. You can print your record to share it if you would like to. Um, Information you must enter. Your first name, your last name, your phone, and your email. Your birth date, your sex, and then a four-digit PIN to verify you aren't a robot. And... Once you are verified by checking a checkbox, then you submit that information. Once you have submitted it, um, depending on how you do this, um, when John did his and when we did mine, we had our verification go to our cell phone. So a link was sent um, via text messaging and he had to activate the link. It's then good for 24 hours. And it, that's a good thing because sometimes the instructions are complicated enough that it takes a few tries to read and understand the instructions and to complete the work. It is doable. It's just a little kludgy. So then you go to messages, you find the message um, with your vaccine record link. You click on it, and Safari um, brings up, and it brings you to a place where you put in your PIN. And once you are verified with that, it takes you to a verification PIN. And then you enter the PIN, which you've already created previously, and you again submit. Then you'll be sent to a page 
where your immunizations live. Um, and as I said earlier, it's not just your COVID ones. It's anything that you want, anything from pharmacies, from your providers, from other clinics you've dealt with. Like when we did our booster shots, we had to go to clinics we don't usually go to. Once you've put in this information into the Maya system, um, if you click on the icon smart card again, you will find a button to add the smart card to your Apple wallet. The smart card, if it's already in your wallet, it will update with any new vaccine information that's done. Um, it's a little difficult to explain, but the prompts work very well on the website. And I'm going to say, every time you have to update, you go to the beginning, you go to my Vax, and it will have you put in your name, your birth date, and all that stuff. You put in your PIN, it will take you through the same verification steps. And then your record, if it's already in there, it will just let you update it, and it will add the new information. It knows what to do. The other thing that I want to say about this is um, providers really like the system because they can look. Um, recently, I was talking to a place that I volunteer for, and they were thrilled that they could just go and look and see that I was COVID vaccinated properly. Um, we love the system. If you have an Android phone, you can put this information as well. And when we send out the documents, um, it's a completely different platform, but the directions look pretty self-explanatory. Um, my apologies that it's kind of hard to listen to, but I guarantee you, if you go to my Vax records and then you just follow the prompts, you'll be good to go. Um, there are questions and answers. Uh, one, what if you live outside of Massachusetts? Then you have to check with your state. What if you have been vaccinated, vaccinated by a federal agency? Then you need to check with them as to whether they have a mechanism of this sort. Um, what if you lose your card. If you lose your paper card and you're already, but you've already put your vaccination smart card into your health wallet or into your photos or onto your Android phone, you can always print it out and it will be accepted. And for those of you who think maybe we're out of this pandemic and we don't need to use it, there are still venues that are requiring proof of vaccination. One of the biggest right now is theaters. Some restaurants still require it. So, so Jeanette, this um, electronic wallet, when you want to show somebody your vaccination status, do you show them through your phone? In yes. order for them to see, or okay, yes. is that the only way somebody can access your record? Then is is by looking on your phone um, to, to see it. 
if you want them to see it and you don't want them to look on your phone, you could actually print out the record and have a paper copy. Mm-hmm. There, okay. um, the reason is that there's a QR code. Um, they actually wouldn't, they can scan your QR code so they wouldn't really see the information on, on your phone. They'd just see the QR code. Oh, I so see. Your phone okay. is not at risk. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I'm just thinking. So you would have to have your your phone is with you in order to show the verification of your vaccine. Uh, yes, but you okay. could if you don't want to do that, you could print it out and just have a paper copy. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, let's uh, we have our last uh, little item in the work agenda side of things before we can play a little bit. Uh, and that is our resolution. So, again, we're going to read one at a time, you know, read one, discuss, vote, next one, uh, and, and go in that way. So, uh, Kim, if you are there and if you're ready to you know, reread the, the first resolution, uh, go ahead. Resolution 2022-01. Whereas the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind is the state agency charged with administering state and federally funded programs intended to assist blind and visually impaired citizens of the Commonwealth to achieve independence through employment and compensatory skills of daily living, and whereas the state funding for the Community Services Program, account 4110-1000, serving about 90% of the 25,000 legally blind consumers in the Commonwealth, requires an additional $850,000 to adequately fund the staffing and supplies necessary to achieve their independence, and whereas the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind contracts with several several not-for-profits to provide independent living skills training, including the use of adaptive technology and associated services, all of which will require an increase in the independent living and assistive technology earmark from $850,000 to $1 million for all qualified Nonprofit providers. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the members of the Bay State Council of the Blind in convention assembled on this 30th day of April 2022 that the BSCB calls upon the members of the Massachusetts Senate to support these funding levels when passing the 23 state fiscal budget and be it further resolved that all members of the BSCB are asked to reach out to their state senators to secure their support for this essential funding. Listening to um, the commissioner today, I think he talked about how some money from the budget was returned because it wasn't used. Is this funds that he feels is uh, needed? Extra funding, the you know, in the 41, the 1,000 line item, is this money he's requesting, extra funding he's requesting? I can respond to that to some degree. It's true that um, the commissioner has not requested these funds. However, a commissioner is not in a position to request more than what the governor has stated the original funds were going to be. 
They're not in a position to lobby for or request funds after the governor's budget comes out. Another part of your question had to do with these residual funds that they're allowed because they underexpended last year to expend this year. They still have to have authorization within this year's budget to expend those monies. So nothing we're asking here is in addition to uh, the funds that are being forwarded on from last year. They can be partially filled with those monies. Uh, Lastly, I would say that it's a rather confusing situation we find ourselves in right now. We had the House put together its budget and pass its budget just the other day, and it looked as if the legislation included funding that met all of our requests. However, in digging deeper into the legislative process on the House side, it turns out that while the language was adopted, the monies were not allocated. So getting any of these monies requires that we all get very involved on the Senate side so that it ends up being funded on the Senate side. So when it goes to the conference committee, the the two houses can work that out between them. Uh, This is really a difficult uh, nut to crack because of the nature of how the House has chosen to deal with uh, allocations of funds that were not in the governor's original budget. Hi, everybody. Um, so I want to be clear before I say anything. I'm not speaking because many of you know I work at the Commission for the Blind, so I'm not speaking for the agency. I'm speaking as a private citizen and as a member of SEIU 509, which represents the majority of direct care staff at the agency. But I I guess one thing I want to say is that um, we've lost a bunch of staff through attrition of people that have never been replaced over the past five years, we've lost 19 direct care staff at least. And so we are right now way over caseload. Um, almost everybody is, I mean, significantly. People who are supposed to have caseloads of 70 are up to like 150. And in some cases, 90, 100. Um, it, it's, it's a really bad situation in that sense. People's services are being delayed. And so we really do need a lot more staff members. We are not at our staffing cap, according to the Secretary of Health and Human Services. But even if we were, that can be raised. And it really would be important to rebuild our staff. And part of what we're hoping is that if um, that the money going to the 1000 account could be used to rebuild our staffing, that it would mean that consumers could be served in a much more timely way and be served as much as they need to be served. Because right now we're sort of between a rock and a hard place of trying to see new people and trying to return to see people who really need to be seen. So that's a lot of what is behind this. Um, And yeah, right now it's in the Senate. Eventually it'll be in conference committee. And there may be other times that we'll need to contact our legislators, but right now it's heading into the Senate and um, there are numbers of ways for us to do that, but I, I really would, um, I really do support this and I hope that people will vote for it. I think it was a little confusing at the end on the resolve, um, saying 2022, 2023. I think maybe that, I don't know, I could be wrong in interpreting this wrong, but it should say FY23 budget because that is what is being discussed. So I don't know if that's 
there or I just missed it, but just wanted to make that comment um, at the end of that resolution. I, I would, um, this is Kim. And when I read it this time, I read FY 23, but in the text, you're correct. It says 2022 slash 2023. And what it really needs to say is, you know, FY 2023, because that's what this is all about. That's right. That's what I was, that's what I was correcting. Thank you. No problem. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I would like to proceed to a vote if we have a motion to uh, accept the resolution. I make a motion. Move the adoption of the this reserve. motion of this resolution. Second it. Okay. All those in favor, say aye. 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 Opposed? Nay. I wasn't saying nay. I was just saying that's what you're supposed to say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, any abstentions? Okay, hearing none, uh, the uh, resolution 01 is accepted. And Kim, if we could go to number two now. Resolution 2022-02, Massachusetts Talking Book Program. Whereas the Perkins Braille and Talking Book Library, Watertown, and the Worcester Talking Book Library provide vital reading materials to people who are blind and have other print disabilities in Massachusetts, And whereas the Perkins and Worcester libraries provide access to audio, braille, and large print books and magazines, newspapers by phone and online, and other accessible reading materials of local interest not available from any other source. And whereas the governor's FY 2023 budget for the Perkins and Worcester libraries proposed level funding despite increased usage and costs, and whereas the Massachusetts Board of Library Commissioners has recommended a 5% funding increase for the Perkins Braille and Talking Book Library and the Worcester Talking Book Library, which would allow continued service delivery to the existing 25,000 borrowers and increased outreach to the estimated 100,000 eligible borrowers who are not aware of the program, and whereas the Massachusetts House of Representatives FY23 budget allocates an additional 5% or $141,407 totaling $2,969,554 for the Perkins Braille and Talking Book Library line item and an additional 5% amounting to $24,837, resulting in a proposed appropriation of $521,569 for the Worcester Talking Book Library. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the Bay State Council of the Blind in convention assembled this 30th day of April, 2022, asks that the Massachusetts legislature support the funding request in the House FY23 budget as follows. Line item 7,940, Watertown, $2,969,554. And line item 7,940, Worcester, 
resulting in an FY 2023 appropriation for the Perkins Library of $2,969,554 and for the Worcester Talking Book Library of $521,569 to enable the two libraries in Watertown and Worcester to continue to conduct important outreach and meet the accessible reading needs of the current 25,000 patrons utilizing this specialized service in the Commonwealth. How do you project that um, 100,000 uh, in for additional people that might be eligible? And the second one is there's such a discrepancy between the Worcester amount and the Watertown amount that it makes me nervous. Well, let me take the second one first. Um, Worcester, I think it's a size issue, and we haven't really had a problem with it, but the Worcester Library has, I believe, five employees and provides service primarily in central Massachusetts. The, the Perkins Library has 28 staff and provides service in all of the rest of the Commonwealth and machine lending and Braille services in central Massachusetts. So they've always been proportionally different because of the size. And I don't think that that's um, a negative problem in, in the, in the eyes of the board of library commissioners. Yeah. We have any others. I, I um, and then the other comment about the hundred thousand is that's based on some studies that were done probably about 10 years ago, um, studying the population within mass rehab commission um, and other disability groups that are tend to be um, you know, within the physical disability community, people with Parkinson's and people with MS and brain injuries and things like that. So a lot of that 100,000 is not necessarily the blind community. It's reading disability community members and people with physical disabilities. They are significantly underserved in our statistics of what we do today. That makes sense. Thank you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's proceed to a vote. Do we have a motion to accept this resolution? I make a motion Second. to accept this resolution. Seconded. 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 It's seconded. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Uh, so, again, uh, we had a lot of ayes. Any nays? Uh, any abstentions? Okay. The... Um, the resolution is adopted. Uh, now, uh, Jerry, you were right. So we will read the third one. Then we will ask for a motion and a second. And then we'll have whatever discussion. Um, resolution 2022-03. Whereas citizens of the United States of America who follow the proper rules and procedures are guaranteed the right to vote, And whereas every municipality in the Commonwealth uses accessible voting equipment to assure that blind and otherwise disabled citizens can cast their vote privately, verifiably, and independently, and whereas the same accessible voting technology has been used reliably and dependably for several election cycles by overseas-based members of the United States Armed Forces for absentee voting, 
And whereas the Massachusetts accessible vote by mail system used by several municipalities during the November 2020 elections provided blind and visually impaired voters a means by which they could cast their ballots electronically. And whereas legislation has been filed in both the House and Senate that would guarantee this level of voting access to all blind or visually impaired citizens on the federal, state, and municipal level. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the members, the members of the Bay State Council of the Blind at our 2022 convention that we call on all members of the Massachusetts House of Representatives and the Senate, as well as the governor of the Commonwealth, to actively support legislation that would assure that blind and visually impaired citizens of the Commonwealth can cast their ballot at any and all elections by electronic means in a manner that would allow them to do so independently, privately, and verifiably. Do we have a motion? motion to accept the resolution three. Okay, do we have a Seconded. motion? Second. We have a second. Okay, we are now okay, we are now ready to uh, for discussion and debate. So it mentions the twenty twenty election that was conducted, you know, use this method in uh, some municipalities. Do we want to have it included um, or talk specifically the election that was held in 2021? Because that was the completely accessible electronic ballot. It was allowed us to vote and submit the ballot completely accessibly. I would be perfectly comfortable changing it from 2020 to 2021. Mm-hmm. It was more current, it was more accessible, and I missed the digit. <laughs> so I, I had the same comment about 2021. But my other question or comment is, when you get to the part of about the resolution, it does say electronic voting. But to me, that's not clear that it means at home electronic voting. To me, that's just a little too general. Like, I think it could be construed to also mean accessible voting in a voting machine at the polling place. Do you have a suggestion for a language that would resolve Uh, your Remote. Remote electronic voting, perhaps. Okay, I'm I'm comfortable with that. It certainly is in keeping with the intent of the original resolution, so it would be accepted as a friendly amendment. So it would read maybe with cast their ballot at any and all elections um, remotely instead of electronic means? Remotely, accessibly, privately. Yeah. All those things. Yeah. So we we could say remotely and, and I, I think it, (laughs) I think it should also say at the beginning somewhere that to receive your ballot and return your ballot electronically. Um, Mm. Because that was part of the, you know, those who have been involved right. in the electronic balloting for access to the absentee ballot, when it started in 2020, we could receive an electronic ballot and we filled it out on, with our but computers, we but we had to print them and, right. and send them to our town clerk. So the next time that it happened, 
we were able to email them back, but we had to create a PDF. And this was when it was under the Secretary of State. So in November of 2021, the system that Jeanette referenced as being seamless and and truly was seamless. I don't think I've used a online system that was so easy to do. We received the ballot and we were able to return the ballot. So I think we need to make sure that language gets in here. So it's clear we're not just talking about, oh, you want to get your ballot by email and then you have to create a PDF. I mean, not everybody knows how to create a PDF. So if there are still voting machines in places, we want to make sure that that option oh, is and there, not and there eliminated. Will be. Yes, and there okay. there has to be accessible machines in every polling place in the Commonwealth. That's already the law. So this is new. This is new infrastructure around voting. So that won't affect that piece of it. No, no, no they, there will always be electronic machines because there will always be people who want to go to the polls and vote there. So I actually want to correct something. Everybody keeps saying that in 2020, we could fill out our ballot electronically, but then we had to print it and mail it. I don't remember the details of how this came about or how I found out about it, but I was able to email my ballot once I had completed it. And so I was able to submit it electronically, albeit with the intervention of somebody in the Secretary of State's office, who I believe turned around and somehow or other got it to my town's um, town clerk for counting of the ballot. Mm-hmm. I believe might- that process was the primary in 2021, as opposed to the presidential election in 2020. No, I did it in 2020. I'm pretty sure of that. <laughs> okay. Well, you whatever. Well, <laughs> you may have okay. been the only one. That's right. Okay. All right. I know All right. I Maybe didn't. I'm not remembering it correctly. Yeah, that could be. I think the larger point is that it's it's this 2021 <laughs> system is what we want. Yes. Right. Yeah. This is this Agreed. is Mary. I uh, so I, I don't want to extend the discussion, but Tina's right because in 2020, you still had to create the PDF, but you could send the PDF back as an email attachment. Exactly. So that was how it worked. It was cumbersome to uh, create the PDF. It was not not everywhere. Brian, can this be sort of wordsmithed now, or would it be better to hold it off and then briefly reread it? Tomorrow, what do you think about that before we entertain the next question or two? If anybody disagrees with the following, then we should hold it off to tomorrow. It's my understanding that we're going to use the word remote rather than electronic. And there might be a word or two on either side of that to make it grammatically correct, but that's the intent. And secondly, to both receive and return your ballot through this process. Yeah. Yes. And I think that with, with with the acceptance of the membership here, we can do that as a matter of, of just a little tiny wordsmithing that will not change the intent uh, of those changes. Yeah, I, I agree with the resolution, but it doesn't, uh, you know, uh, the voting machines like the Adams Mark, where I live in Sudbury, you know, it's, it has it's not accessible because of a screen that you have to would you have to add in somebody and it's not accessible and then they couldn't get the ballot out uh and the police had to come with a key and that's ridiculous and they won't um replace the machine so what my question is isn't there 
going to be anything in any of these resolutions to deal with that kind of thing? We do know, Linda, that the machines that have been deployed are aging out. They're beginning to break down significantly and that the Secretary of State's office is working on now what do we do? Part of the problem, as everybody here knows, is the machine. And part of it is the uh, knowledge of the poll workers on how the machines work and when they should be deployed and all of those kinds of things that have created problems on a poll place by polling place basis. So we certainly are not ignoring those problems, but our current resolution deals strictly with the ability to vote absentee remotely. Oh, I I agree with that part of it. It's just that I don't want to see what I asked about being left out because the town doesn't want to pay for uh, renovating the machine because I checked with the town clerk and it's ridiculous. One, the the town town itself does not pay for the machines. The town does not pay for the machine or the repair of the machine. That is a state function. Well, that's a rhetoric I got. So (laughs) that's what it is, too. Okay, do we have any other questions? We do. We have Jeannie Fairley and Sharon Strokowski, and those are the last two. Jeannie, go ahead. Thanks. Um, Mine does not change the intent of the resolution, only the language. And um, in the second, whereas um, I often use ensure instead of assure, so whatever uh, people are comfortable with um, when I'm doing things like this. Um, The other word is otherwise disabled citizens. I, I'm not comfortable with that. Um, I, I, I'm, a, I'm trying to be more of a person-first language, so I, my suggestion would be um, uh, citizens who are blind and, uh, and, and other disabilities, that's something like that, um, rather than saying otherwise disabled. Um, that just doesn't sit right with me. And I, it's more of a cross-disability situation um, that I'm thinking of here because there are many who take advantage of this um, besides just blind people who would want to have this electronic uh, voting. Um, and the others were more of um, if we're switching some things up about um, blind and visually impaired, um, again, uh, we might want to just clean that up and do blind and uh, with low vision, but also even in all those references to say citizens who are blind and have low vision, um, rather than blind citizens, low vision citizens. So just, just thought about that while I was reading it. Thank you. My question is, um, Democracy Live, when they were speaking with us, had mentioned, um, the idea of not just state and national elections, federal elections, but also town. Do we want to, make that a part of this resolution? It it is, in fact, part of it because I mentioned municipalities. Okay. Okay. On the federal, state, and municipal level is how the last whereas clause reads. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, we have a motion. We have a second. Uh, All those in favor of accepting the resolution with the modifications that we have. Wait, um, wait one second, David. Are we are we changing the last language that um, Jeannie Fairley requested? We consider it a friendly amendment. 
Okay. Yes. Yeah. So that means, you know, the modifications that were suggested as friendly amendments. So we have a motion. We have a second. Absolutely. All of those in favor, say aye. 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 Opposed? Aye. Abstain? Okay, the ayes have it. And the third and final resolution is uh, adopted. So again, thank you, Brian, for all the wordsmithing you did. Kim, for the reading, and I'm sure you had a lot to do with the wordsmithing too there. So thank you all so much. No alerts now we come to the fun part, the word game business. I have no idea what word game you've got in store for us, but that's part of the uh, the fun. So uh mary so i have um a few different types three different types of word games okay um so we'll start with the first one and i'll um these are actually what i would say these are sort of word puzzles and i will credit will shorts from the new york times who has compiled these and i i enjoy listening to him the first Puzzle is called split ends. Okay. And um, each answer, so I'm going to give you the clue, and each answer is going to be a common, well, a two word phrase or name. The first word ends with the letters EN, and the second word will start with the letter D. Okay. Split ends. Okay. So as an example, Okay, as an example, one week would be considered that the, the answer is seven days. Okay, so it first word ends in EN and the second word starts with D. So all of your answers will have that pattern. Okay. Okay, so here we go. So when you have an answer, you can just raise your hands. Okay. Invitation to enter a room. First word ends in E-N. Second word starts with D. Invited. Nope. Remember, it's going to be a two-word name or two, yeah, oh, two-word okay. answer, but it's not invited. The first word's not invited. Oh. Cool. It's a common phrase, common phrase associated with invitation to enter a room. Open door. Correct. Open door. Oh. Right. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Next one. What you do... To the hatches. You batten them down. <laughs> batten down. Right. Just batten down. Correct. Yep. Right. Very good. Yep. Okay. All righty. Next one. Okay. Rum cocktail served with served with finely crushed ice. Frozen okay. daiquiri. Frozen daiquiri. Yep. Very uh, good. Frozen. Yep. Yeah, that's the word. Frozen daiquiri. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Variety of apple. (laughs) What's delicious? Golden delicious. Golden delicious. Oh. Oh. (laughs) Remember, our pattern is first word ends with e n, and then second word starts with d. Okay. Who Abraham Lincoln debated in 1858? Stephen Douglas. Yes, correct. Yep. Yep. Very good. A sharp penned op-ed columnist for the New York Times. Oh, David, you don't know, huh? David Kingsbury. It's Maureen Dowd. 
Prime Minister's Street Address in England. Seven ten downing. 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 Ten downing. Ten Downing. Ten Downing. Right. Oh. Ten Downing. Right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Where a can opener and eating utensils are stored. Kitchen drawer. Correct. Oh, yep. Good, oh, good yep. yep. Comedian who came out on her sitcom. Ellen DeGeneres. Ellen DeGeneres. Right. Right. Yep. Brand of ice cream. Hagen dazs Right. Okay. Okay. So I have another type of game. What I'm going to do is give you a common five-letter word. Okay. Common five-letter word. You're going to turn it into a seven-letter word by adding two consecutive letters after the first letter of the of the word. Okay. So, for example, the example, the first example is, or the example I'll give you is the word spent, S-P-E-N-T. You would add the letters E-R after S to make it serpent. Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, Okay. Okay. All righty. So, first word is slime, S-L-I-M-E. Sublime. Sublime. Correct. Right. Sublime. Very good. Right. The word Orate, O-R-A-T-E. Operate. Correct. Operate? Yeah. Operate. Ornate, but that's only one letter. (laughs) Right. Yep. Okay. The word drive, D-R-I-V-E. Derive. Derive. Deprive. Deprive. Right. Okay. The word tough. T-H-R-U. Yes. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. The word bathe, B-A-T-H-E. Breathe. breathe. Oh, breathe. 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 Yeah. Breathe. Very good. Breathe. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Okay. The word fane, which is F E I G N. Foreign. Foreign. Right. Yeah. Right. Good one. Good. Good. The word march, M A R C H. Monarch. Monarch. Right. Good one. Right. Good one, Jennifer. Good. Yep. The word award. Award. Awkward. 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 Yes. Awkward. Right. Oh, yeah. Great. The word sport. Sport. Support. Right. Right. Yeah. And the last word, villa. Vanilla. Vanilla. So another category I have here are, I'm going to give you another type of game. I'm going to give you a category. It's a two word category. And you're going to have to think of two things that fit that category, okay, but they have to start with a certain letter. So, for example, okay, the first, I'm going to, this is an example, so you'll see what I mean. Zoo animals, okay, zoo animals. So, you would think of two animals, because that's the category, one beginning with the letter Z, the zoo, and one beginning with the letter A for animals. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. my. So, okay. Zebra. 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 Right. Antelope. Right. right. Yeah. Yes. So that would be. So you have to have both answers. One, you can't just give me one answer. Okay. Okay. So the first category, breakfast order. So remember, you got to think of something that begins bacon, with the letter B. Bacon, bacon and, and orange juice. Bacon, bacon. Okay. Bacon and orange juice. Anything else? Bacon and omelets. Bacon and omelets. and orange juice. Oh, no. Bread and bread. Bacon omelets. Bagel. Bagel. Yep. Yep. Bagel, too. Bagel. I, uh, yep. Yep. Rhea. So there, were, I said there was bread. at least. 
There was at least two O's, orange juice and omelet. Um, I like I like olives for breakfast. I like olives. Oh, that'd be great, yeah. <laughs> oatmeal. Bacon and oatmeal. Right, oatmeal. David likes those for breakfast, too. Oysters, yeah. I haven't thought of that. Okay. All righty. Next category, foreign language. Foreign language. French and Latin. French and Latin. Okay. German. No, no, no. We've already come up with English. So any other French and Latin? French and Latin. Latvian. 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 We already have oh, yeah. we already had French. So another Finnish. N and another Finnish. L. Finnish. 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 And what was and the Jennifer other L? said Latvian. She was right. Latvian. How about Lithuanian? Finnish and Lithuanian. Lithuanian, yeah. Latvia. Uh, oh, okay. Latvia. That could be. Okay. Uh huh. Is that a language? I don't know if they have a language. It's actually like, yes, actually Liberian English is a language in Liberia. Yeah, I thought so. There you go. Okay. Well, then you can Um, go with French Canadian, too. Yeah. <laughs> but French Canadian isn't could. the right letters, David. Yeah, but no. What's your right. other what's your other L? Oh no, you said <laughs> one language. Oh I, yeah. Latin, yeah. Latvia. There's, we have the L there's um there's Lao. There's Laos. Yeah. Yeah, in Laos. That's there's the also for the Fran for the F there's Flemish. Oh yeah. Oh, that's yeah. That's right. There's also Farsi. Right. Farsi. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And um, but here, Lebanese. You know, is that, I know. They no, speak Lebanese Arabic, isn't a language. It's, it, yeah, they, it's they speak either Arabic, Arabic, Arabic or French. They speak yeah. Arabic. Yeah. When I, when I yeah. lived in Zaire, there's Lingala. That was a main language there. Lingala. Okay. Yeah. But and there's also. Of African languages. What do they speak in Liechtenstein? World capitals. World capitals, yes. and not and not including Washington D.C. You have to think of some right. other W. <laughs> Warsaw, Warsaw, yeah, Warsaw. Oh, but man, you have to think of W and C. Oh, Warsaw and Copenhagen. Copenhagen. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else? Because there's there's two other W's. You know, it's been a long day, Mary. Somebody said Wellington and Canberra yes. then. Oh, yes. yeah, you got yes. it. Good. Yes, very good. Oh, very good. Very good. Very good. And the Canberra, Chris. Canberra? Canberra? Canberra. And the other W, the other what? W is the capital of Namibia. Which is called, oh. I think, Windhoek. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Very good. Okay. Next category: island countries. Now, this, this and I'm thinking about it, obviously a country that is an island. Okay. Island countries. And a C. Oh, Iceland and Cuba. Okay. Ireland. Good combination. But doesn't one have to be a capital and the other one the? Country? No, this is still an island country. Yeah, this is just remember the category oh, okay. is the category. island country. Oh, okay. So it's just it's a country that has islands. Yeah, Ireland's yeah. one of them. I think yep. that's the sea. Ireland, Costa Rica. Oh, no. Costa Rica is not an island. Costa Rica is not an island. But Jerry said Cuba, so that's it. Cuba. Cuba is yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a few others. There's some others. Um, there's a few others. Um, seas and. Did we get Costa Rica? Sri Lanka, not an island. But there is, if you head further south from there, you'll come uh, up Comoros. with an island. Oh, south. Curacao. There's, there's the Canary yeah. Islands. Oh, Canary oh, Islands, right? Canary Islands. Yep. Good seas, yeah. But there's, there's another, the there's another really big island. Cayman. 
Damon's. Ooh, yeah. yes. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that, but there's a there's a big eye, a big island beginning with the letter I. We haven't come. We haven't come up with I, Iceland. Iceland. Is Iceland? We th- we said Iceland and Ireland, oh, but for, okay. no, this is in the this is in the Pacific. Iwo, Indonesia? Iwo Jima? Indonesia. 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 Right. Indonesia. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yep. Iwo Jima. Yep. <laughs> well, that's part of Japan. I would challenge Indonesia as a archipelago or a group of right. islands, but you know, yes, oh, I guess. What well, in, in Indonesia? Has to be a country. Yeah. Indonesia is a country. But no, but it's a country. Yes, it's a country. Yeah, yeah, an island country. Yes, an island country. Right. Yes, right. Right. So, um, Asian country. So this would be a country on the continent of Asia. So Asian country. A and C. No, A and C. I was going to begin with A and A and C. China. Okay, China. China. Afghan? No. Afghanistan. We have China, but there's another A, and there's um, there's definitely another C. Azerbaijan, I said. Is that a that's a country, isn't it? Um, that's yeah, it is. Actually, yeah, you're right. That it's would Central be. Asia. It's Central Asia. Yeah. Cambodia. It's, also, it's considered Armenia. 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 Asia. Yes, it's considered Asia. No, it's oh. it sort of straddles the two did continents. Did we say right. um, it's right near Turkey and Iran? Did we say Cambodia? No. You just yeah, did. No. Very good. And Cyprus was another island country. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cyprus yeah. was another island country. Yeah. And, yeah. and Crete, too. Crete's yep. part of Greece. Oh. Crete? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Crete's not a country. It's part of it's Greece. It's an island. Yeah. Yeah. I knew it was an island, but I thought it yeah. was a separate but country. But Cyprus is independent. No. Nay, nay. Cyprus yeah. is independent, right. Cyprus is independent. Okay. And then the last one in this category is... African nation, African nation. So an A and an N. Algeria, Namibia. Nigeria okay, would be the N. Nigeria, Nigeria. Yeah. Nigeria. Namibia. There's two yeah. others, and, and oh, and Cindy just said Namibia. There's one more yeah. N. Niger. 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 Yeah. Niger. So someone said Algeria. There's um, another A. Angola. Angola, oh, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm, good yep. one. Yep. And those, and I believe that was all that I I could find. Yep. Yep. So, okay, very good. So this next category, next game is called Master of Ceremonies. <laughs> it's common two-word phrase or name. The first word will end with the letter M, like master, and the second word will start with the letter C. Like you know, mm-hmm. uh, no, what, what Wait a minute. M and C. The first word will end with the letter M, like master. So the first word will end with the letter M, like master. Oh, okay. yeah, the yeah. second right. word will start with the letter C, like ceremony. Okay. MC. Like MC. That's why it's called master of ceremonies. Yep. I guess. Okay. Yeah. And I something that might wake you up in the morning 
Tiny room where you keep cleaning you ten- room uh, cleaning closet. Room, room closet, closet. Room closet. Room closet. Yeah, right yeah, yep yeah. yep okay already okay um something spread on a bagel green cheese okay um it sucks up dirt vacuum cleaner vacuum cleaner right yep okay Okay. Planner of an art exhibit for a museum. Curator. Curator. Oh, curator. Curator. Museum curator. I actually gave away part of the answer. I read, <laughs> read it. Uh, okay. Yeah, museum curator. Right. Sam, that's right. the only way I got it because you gave it <laughs> Okay. Okay. It may be labeled New England or Manhattan. Yep. Okay. Okay. Period in school for physical activity. Gym class. Yep. Gym class. Yep. Two more and you're done. Okay. Okay. Gin drink. Gin drink with lemon. Sugar. Tom Collins, Tom, Tom Collins, and seltzer. Yes. Yeah, uh, Tom Collins. Yeah, yeah. They would okay. know. <laughs> okay. Chemical name. Okay, last one. Chemical name for table salt. Sodium, Sodium chloride. 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 Right. 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 Good job, so, Mary. Thank you, Mary. Okay. Thank you, Mary. Hey, with a bang. Good job, Mary. Mary. We're gonna see you on NPR puzzle game. Yes. You all at the auction. Yes.